Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a special Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am now joined by Coastal Carolina head football coach, Mister Jamie Chadwell. Jamie, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Yeah, I am doing well. How you been? Not too bad. Not too bad. Pretty, pretty optimistic uh, here in Knoxville. I'm a graduate student here in Tennessee, and uh, it's been a fun ride thus far. Um, fun offensive performances, and uh, that's something you're you're accustomed to. Fun offensive uh, Saturdays in Conway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, we've been able to move the chains here the first uh, few games of the year, so that's been a positive for sure. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to ask you. Um, are you having fun this season? Is that something that, because I've talked to a lot of high school coaches and this is something that I just wonder because of what you and your team went through last year um, with COVID and everything else, like, are you making more of a point to enjoy this season more? Are you, are you more relieved? Do you feel better? Like what is the difference in terms of your emotions and just how, how just light and how much more fun you're having this year versus what you went through last year? Well, I actually, you know, I actually think last year, even though you had to do all the stuff, I think, I think you had fun last year because you realized it could be taken away at any mm-hmm. moment, right? And so, to me, I think it's just carried over. Now, there's obviously fun in winning; nobody likes losing, right? But I think also it's the type of people you're around. And, and I would say with our, our team here, we got we got a good group of young people that care for each other, and that makes it fun because they want to do well for each other. And so uh, we're enjoying it, but I would be enjoying it even if we weren't, you know, six and old and whatever, just mm. because of the type of people you're around. I, I think people make your experience. Have you noticed anything different about your routine and your coaching style since uh, since last year? Uh, no, I think you're more cautious of uh, of you know, okay, what. Hey, if we did something like this, could this put us in a bad position from a COVID standpoint or something of that nature? So I think you do think more about uh, the outside variables that could have potentially hurt your team. You know, I think from that standpoint, I think COVID brought that on. Um, and so, but besides that, no. What did you bring back, and what did you like? What did you learn, and what did what do you still use from from last year that you it turned out to be a helpful tool uh, coaching wise this fall? Well, we were, you know, you were, you, you had no clue really about the virus last year, and so everybody told you if you do this, you do that. You know, you could, your team could get this or that. So we were mm-hmm. very, I'd say, very cautious with uh, conditioning standpoint and practice and all the different things that you might do there. And so you, I was, I was more consumed with just making sure we got to the game healthy, more than anything. And I think what I saw was we stayed healthy throughout the year, and so I took that. Going into this year, say I don't. We don't have to grind them into a uh, you know into the ground during during fall camp. We can we can trust their uh, their conditioning and trust what they need to do to put themselves in position. So how we changed practices last year because of COVID, we actually have kept this year and, and we've we've stayed healthy for the most part as well this year. So that's been a positive that that I'll keep doing. Interesting. Um, so your team right now. Number one in offensive points per drive per BCF Toys, great college football analytic site. Um, how have you gotten this thing to hum at this elite level this year? Well, you know we have a lot of people back. That always helps, you know. And this is our this is our 
uh, you know, our third year in the offense, you know, I mean, you, your first year you're trying to implement your hope and you guys figured out last year, you know, you, you're, you feel like, hey, we've got it. And then obviously with the people back, you got a quarterback that can execute it. That's first and foremost. You got a guy like that that can do a lot of different things. He helps you. He helps you in so many ways. But we have, we have, you know, five starters back on the O line, our top uh, three receivers back, two of our top three running backs back. So the experience. Uh, and so those guys understand each and every week what it takes to play at a high level. You know, and that doesn't mean we're going to score 40-something points every game or have 600 yards of offense, but I do think we have a group that's capable of playing good offensive football every week, and it's the experience and their knowledge of, of what we're doing and then obviously the quarterback making it go. Um, what's interesting about your offense, I, I love watching you guys play. It's a very different kind of offense. It's different, and it's fun, and it's electric. Um, everyone got to watch it last year in the BYU game, which was just one of my favorite college football games I've ever seen. Um, do you still think about that game a lot? Do people ask you about the the BYU game? I do get it quite a bit. I don't I don't know if I think about it much, you know, because mm. you're so consumed with what's going on now. But uh, but I do. I mean, I think that's the one game that resonated with everybody because of the way it came together and and the way they looked and the way we looked mm-hmm. and the way the game turned out. You know, so. Um, what is the hardest thing for new players who come into your program to pick up with your offense? What have you found is the most difficult part of it? Uh, yeah, I would just say the uh, the understanding of the of the of the different tags with your plays. You know, you mm-hmm. have a play call, and then you ta- you tag it with something. And I think understanding those tags because that that tag can change make it look like it's a completely different play for one person doing something different but you have everybody has to know obviously what they're doing and so i would say it's not the base things it would be more so understanding the tags to take that take your offense to that next level interesting um what have you noticed about grayson that's different this year than last year uh, two things one from a physical standpoint he looks different you know this was really his first off season being able to lift and do the things that college athletes do uh, and so I think he's from a physical standpoint. Uh, and then, two, it just his growth as far as understanding what we're trying to do uh, offensively from last year to this year. Uh, and the more that we, we've been able to put on him because he knows it and he's got experience now. And I think that's why you're seeing him perform at a high level. Do you expect him to get into the, the Heisman candidacy? It's a very weird group right now through half the season. We have no idea, but not a lot, not a, as much talk as I would expect because he has just been on another level this year. What, uh, what is the best reason to, to buy in and watch uh, Grayson this fall? Yeah, well, I would say he should based off of his numbers and all those things. Now, whether he does or not, uh, you know, you know how that goes, but mm. I'd say this: we, we've got a tough schedule coming up. We've got national TV the next couple of weeks. It'll yep. be three weeks in a row for it. And so, uh, you know, he co- goes out, and continues to perform at a high level the way he's capable. Uh, why not? You know, if you look at everybody else that's in there, all these people that had all these people that you know that said, "Hey, this guy's a housing guy." None of those people are performing at a high level right now. And so, I, I, if he continues to perform at the level he's at, we continue to win at a high level. Uh, you know, he's arguably, um, you know, the, the best player in, in college football and for what we're doing, you know. And so I think I think he deserves to be in that talk. And we'll see what happens. We obviously have got to take care of some business here 
but I do I do believe that he he deservedly should be up there as far as hey let's talk about this guy look what he's doing so far absolutely if you're going to go down the road with Desmond Ritter and Zach Wilson especially last year I don't know how you don't include include uh, Grayson this year um are you happy with how your defense has matched your offense this season do you like the the balance on both sides of the ball or uh what what have you made of the defense to this point yeah, you know what? I think we're playing pretty well. We we've got to continue uh, from a defensive standpoint. Uh, we got to continue to uh, you know lock people down. There's been some situations where we've not been great, and maybe key situations, third down, whatever it may be. That as we continue to play better teams, we've got to be better. You know, I mean, like you looked last week, we looked like gangbusters, and in the third quarter, it looked like we couldn't play defense. You know, and so um, we just got to be more consistent. Uh, all the way through, but I, I do think we've played well. I think you know if you look at our statistics, we're one of the top defenses in the country, obviously. So there's not tons to uh, you know pick apart. But I do know when we play better offenses, we've got to completely be locked in and, and to play the type of defense we're capable of. You were in one slug fight to this point, and that was with Buffalo. Great program, Lance Leopold. Obviously, just left for Kansas. But um, what made that game tough for you guys? Well, I mean, I think they're a solid program. I think, too, you know, it was the first time on the road, and, you know, we didn't perform uh, in some certain positions. That we, we dropped two touchdown passes in that game and then threw a pick in the end zone. And so if you look at it and you go back and those plays, if you catch those passes and don't put that pick, you, it's probably a cakewalk, you know. And so, But what made it challenging is we, we didn't make those plays and we allowed them to control the line of scrimmage. You know, they controlled the clock, uh, and they really dominated us up front. And uh, it made that game closer than what it needed to be. But looking back, as you go back, you know, three games ago, that we had to find a way to win, even when we weren't our best. But we found a way to make some plays, and we and we we stood up when we needed to on the road against you know a, a good program. So I felt like that was a good turning point for us early in the season to say, hey, we're not invincible. We got to play at a high level if we're going to beat teams. But we're also when we don't. It showed me and showed our team we didn't have to play our best to win games, um, and we were capable of doing that. I thought our character showed through in a tough game like that. We got Boone on the docket next on the 20th on Wednesday, 7.30. Um, biggest game of the year. I I mean, I've watched a lot of Chase Bryce, he actually Grayson Kid, and just App State in that memorable game against Marshall. But when you look at your matchup against App State, uh, what uh, what do you like about it? What are you most excited about uh, with this game in a, in a little over a week? Well, I mean, it's a big game, obviously. Uh, you know, it's going to be for first place in the East, regardless of what happens tonight or in their game. Uh, so I think, you know, anytime you're playing for first place, uh, you know, and you're halfway through your season, I think that's a big deal. They're obviously a tremendous program with tremendous players. Uh, and we'll go in as the underdog, which is, you know, which is sort of where we like it. You know, this whole year we've sort of been favored, uh, and we're an underdog. You know, if you look at, if you just look at their history, if you look at their signing classes and all the different things they've got, resources, you know, we really shouldn't be on the field with them if you just look at those things. And so we'll go in as an underdog, and I like that. I like that uh, opportunity for us. We know that's a big challenge, but uh, I know one that our team will look forward to because it's a. It's a it's a great place to play, and you want to go when you when you're trying to win a obviously a league title, you 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 got to win on the road, and we got a chance to go up there and do that. How much time during the season are you able to to read to get away and reflect? Uh, you know, not tons. I mean, I, yeah. I try to 
when football's not here, when you're done after a game, I try to relax and a little bit on Sunday, get to church and do some things. But you're always constantly on to the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's, I mean, it just comes up regardless of win or lose. You can't focus on it too much. You got to move forward, and so you're you're sort of trained that, that way during the season. Way trips, you can read some. I try to read. You know, when I go on away trips, if we're traveling, you know, obviously wherever it may be, or catch up on TV shows. You know, some of your shows on Netflix or whatever it may be. Um, what is Coach Chadwell watching right now? Oh, that's a good thing. Uh, um, I'm into, I'm watching some Yellowstone right now. Okay. I'm not caught up with it. I really. I, uh, I, I can't remember what number I'm on, but I'm on that one. I'm trying to catch up with my blacklist. I'm a big blacklist <laughs> fan. I mm-hmm. like blacklist. And so those are a couple there that that. Uh, and then they're trying to get me into the uh, Squid Show or Squid <laughs> on Netflix right now. Squid Game, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Squid Games. Mm-hmm. I've not had a chance to watch it, but all the all the players say it's pretty good to watch. So uh, I've not had a chance to get into that, but I'll try to get into that later in the season. Okay. Um, something about you, fans, and maybe even your players, would be surprised to know about you. Something about the fans that uh, I'm really not a butthole, as I see <laughs> on uh, social media. So <laughs> my, my, I think my players would echo that. That's what I would say. I like that. Um, it's Halloween's around the corner. Uh, it's a spooky season, Coach. I have to ask you, what is your your favorite scary movie? Is what? Oh man, favorite scary movie. You know what? I think I would have to go with. Um, I'm a big. I really like the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Okay, big, I like those movies. I really like those. And then I don't know. I guess I don't know if this is more scary or not, but I really like the Saw movies. Okay. And so, you know, I don't know if you've seen those or not. Mm-hmm. Those are not technically. But those I really qualify, like yeah. If you're just talking about a straight Halloween, Halloween deal, and mm. I'm a Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Do you already know what uh, the family is going to have you dressed up as this year? Yeah, we do. Okay. We do, so we'll. I can't. I can't say it out publicly. <laughs> we'll have. We'll have it up. We have a. We have something set. Okay. There you go. Um. I have to ask you, because I've been to just about every Oak Ridge game this fall. Uh, I grew up in Georgia, so just high school football on Friday Night Lights is a big, big part of my youth and upbringing. I just I go and try and catch every, a game every Friday. And you're obviously an Anderson County alum, Coach. Your favorite Friday Night Lights memory from your playing days in Anderson County? Great, favorite. That would have to be, uh, we, beat, we beat Knoxville Powell. They were number one team in the state, and we beat them twenty-four to twenty-one mm. um, at their place. And I think it was homecoming, if I'm not mistaken, for them, or something like that. And they were number one in the state, and that was we just come off a loss, and nobody knew if we were any, you know, what we were going to be, and we upset them, and that that put us on a march to the playoffs, and we made the quarterfinals. But uh, that one, and then uh, that was a that was a big one, and then we beat. Murfreesboro Smyrna in the first round and overtime. That was a, that, that's, those are two that I really remember. There you go. I like it. Uh, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, Coach. What are your goals for the rest of the season? Do you have anything like written down? Are you thinking like, oh, I want this to happen? I want us to hit this. Is there what? What are you? What are you trying to uh, kind of strike through the rest of the rest of the way here? Uh, I'm not a huge goal guy. I don't, we don't, okay. We don't really lay out a lot of goals here now. Our, our main focus is is 
every week that we try to be our, our, our best version of ourselves. I know where we're at, we're bowl eligible, which was a positive. So if you said, hey, what's one of your goals? You want to be, go to a bowl game. So we're, we're obviously there. But uh, I, I think this team has championship aspirations, and I, and I think we can play to a championship level. So I want to see us continue to evolve, continue to get better, and continue to drown out the noise because the more, the more we win, the more games that we, that, that we win – and the more and more noise that's going to be on us, uh, that we gotta we got to make sure that we uh, drown out. So those are things I want to see us continue to get better at. There we go. Uh, Coach, I lied. I have one last thing, because I'm just really curious from your perspective on this. For folks who are not on the field, the green field, um, do oppose it? Is it an advantage? Is it a home field advantage to have the kind of turf that you guys have? Do, does it bother and frustrate opposing teams that come in there? You know what? I don't know. Um, mm. When we weren't very good, not at all. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, now we've won 11 straight, so mm. maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's the till surf turf. But I don't think so. I think it looks unique and, and uh, on obviously TV. Mm. Uh, but I think when you're playing on it, I think, you know, most people, that they don't think twice about it. Interesting. Coach, good luck the rest of the way. Thank you so much for making time uh, for the show today. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, good luck the rest of the way. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we are back on this Tuesday night edition of the Chase Homes Podcast, the Western Conference NBA preview episode of this very podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by two recent guests all together on this mega NBA Western Conference preview. Lauren Gunn is here. Lauren, good evening. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad I made it back. I'm glad <laughs> I didn't didn't fail miserably the first time. So it's good to be back. No, I mean there are people who have not. I I don't want to get anyone in trouble here, but there have been people <laughs> where they have not. Uh, the the offer has not been extended back. Gosh. Not been extended back. So yeah, you're in good company. You're good company because Corbin Ford also here and also welcome back, Corbin. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing well, Chase. Thank you. I, I feel good. I'm, I'm happy you brought back. Honored, um, really, and really excited to talk basketball. This, this is what we all enjoy. So, I'm so we're not doing midnight mass for 45 minutes. I, I think I have the wrong show oh, sheet. Okay. I hope not. Oh, good, good. Okay. Oops. <laughs> I will say though, I had on uh, Coastal Carolina's head football coach on earlier today. And uh, I asked him what his favorite scary movie was, and it's the Saw series. So I think there are college football coaches who are into some some interesting stuff. I think the answers are surprising. So I'm going to pitch some feature articles around the the internet to see if anyone will buy. Like I just want to do a bunch of things where I just travel around the country and finding out what weird shows and movies college football <laughs> coaches are into. That that sounds like a a good way to spend my time. Um, but we're not going to do that here on this podcast, guys. We are going to talk about the NBA Western Conference, where I think there's a lot more intrigue than the East. I I wanted to start with the West because I think the East is really just a two-team race. Like my Hawks, I guess you can talk your way into it if you want. Uh, We'll see if they're able to replicate what they did last year. Uh, We can we can pencil out the, the, or I guess cross through the Sixers at this point, depending on what happens with the Ben Simmons trade. Like obviously if you get a Beal or a Lillard or something that changes everything, but ultimately it's still a two team race um, in the Bucks and the Nets. And that's just going to be the case going forward. The West, you can make the case for a lot of different teams outside of the pyramid scheme. That is the Oklahoma city thunder. Um, 
I I can make a case for a lot of different people to to jump and to make the playoffs. Like the West is so interesting to me because I don't have a good read on it, and I don't. It's funny to me when I see other people are like, "Oh, the Lakers are the favorite." I'm like, "What? How do you what, how do you get a favorite out of this right now?" Or the Suns are going back. Do you really believe that the Mavs are going to be a top four seed? Why? The Clippers will be fine. Okay, why? Like, there's just so many different things where I'm like, I don't pretend to have any kind of strong take on the Western Conference. Let's start there before we get into individual teams. Corbin, do you have a strong feeling, gut feeling about the Western Conference and how it will play out this year? I mean, as a Lakers fan, I, I feel, you know, like I should say the Lakers know I'm playing. I really don't. Um, I think it's funny. You, you kind of described uh, just nail on the head in terms of how relatively wide open it is. And, and I, I think it's because, you know, you have a lot of teams that can kind of sneak around there. But I really just think because it's not one person, one team that stands out like, clear above the rest. You know, we've had the Lakers over, we could say, last year, but definitely the year before, um, the Warriors the last couple of years before that. Like, at least one favorite and then one that could kind of, you know, you could make a really strong argument for. Uh, right now, you have a couple that you can make a strong argument for and not one favorite because each content- contender team for that, you know, has significant questions. Lauren, what do you think? Yeah, just to kind of echo what, what Corbin said, I do really think it is it is super wide open. And while I do th- I do still think that the Lakers are kind of at the the top uh, of the list, I don't think you can necessarily say that it's it's a done deal that they're going to be the clear favorite to make it out of the West. And it's 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 a done deal. I I think that there are a lot of questions with this Western Conference. Uh, definitely with the Warriors, like what is their true ceiling? How's Clay looking? Um, with the Nuggets, like there's obviously with between the Clippers and the Nuggets, what is their true trajectory trajectory with the injury status of two of their uh, stars on each of their teams? Can Phoenix? Like, like replicate it can they can they do it and so uh can they come back so and even with the maps like my my home team can luca and porzingis put it together how like can porzingis be that second guy consistently so they're just there are so many questions but i think it's going to be very interesting i mean injuries always come into play uh so so that is going to definitely be a, a a big big factor um but also kind of just the seeding like how are things looking towards the second half are the are the lakers maybe like the third or fourth seed because the reality is they don't have to be the first seed. They just have to make the playoffs and they have so much talent. Like they'll have the ability and the flexibility to load manage if they really want to. So those are the types of types of thing that I, things that I'm going to be watching kind of down the stretch to see how things might, might shape up um, because you are going to have some teams that are like fighting and just like grasping at everything they can to get make sure that they're not in that play-in but it really is going to be a tight race and even some of the teams like looking at the standings right now like six seven and eight last year was portland uh lakers and warriors and so like you can make an argument for the teams that were above them last year and even those three teams that like those are tough teams that you don't want to go against first round so it will be very interesting in the west this year yeah i i have no idea well let's start with the Oklahoma City Thunder, a franchise that I, I I very much loathe. I loathe everything about it. I loathe what they're doing. I loathe uh, just just everything. I loathe everything about it. Um, but who I do not loathe is Shea Gilgit Alexander, who is an absolute stud, future star, multi-time All Star, Lou Dort, great defensive guy, dude. You want in your rotation could help all kinds of contenders. Um, my question about them, and we're going to do a different question slash topic for every Western Conference team. Um, Lauren, I'm going to pose this question to you first. Can they keep SGA and Lou Dort happy for another season where they are actively trying to not win games? 
I definitely think they can. I mean, Shea just just got paid. Lou was a guy that like like played his way into a roster spot and into a multi-year deal. So I don't think the time is running out with those two quite yet. Uh, but as long as they're communicating with Sam Presti uh, and just kind of everybody, everybody has to be on the same page with what the vision is. Like it's no, it's very clear what they're trying to do. Uh, but they need to have like long-term plans kind of in place of like, hey, yeah, we're accumulating all these picks and like these are our targets within the next two years, maybe within the next three years or even the next five years of who we think could come available. Here's why. Uh, and this is the and we're prepared to offer this historical amount of picks and 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 we think that it will happen. Like they, whatever the plan is, everybody needs to be on board and everybody needs to uh, seem to think that it could be something that could actually come to fruition. And so, uh, I personally, from what I've seen from Shay and Lou, um, I don't have any reason right now to think that they're on the verge of becoming unhappy and, and even walk and asking out. Like I, I know kind of towards the draft this last season, there was talk about Shay uh, potentially being like offered in, in trade packages or them feeling out the, the value there. I don't know that I bought into that too, too much. I just don't really know why they would do that because right now their timeline is so uncertain as they continue to tank, but Shea is so young and he is, he has shown that he could be one of the key or that he is one of the key guys that you build your core around moving forward. So as of right now, I think things are pretty, pretty set in OKC for at least for now, but they need to make sure that vision is, is uh, firm. Yeah. And uh, when you just keep acquiring draft picks and you have basically, picks uh i mean just down the line forever that sam prissy has just accumulated so many you've bought yourself time and you can just keep presenting that and he's just like i'm just going to recreate uh what i did 10 years ago and draft three future hall of famers um in in succession like it's just that easy um i have my doubts though i have my doubts uh what do you think corbin oh i agree completely i think when you look at the fact that Shea, you know, Shea Gilders Alexander just signed that extension. Um, like I said, Lou Dort was really the one who was given an opportunity in Oklahoma City. You know, it's someone that, you know, defensive specialist uh, for someone that shoots less than 40% from the field. The fact that he even had an opportunity to shoot um, and score 42 points last season um, against a really good team. I mean, getting the opportunity, getting those touches, like he's still developing his game. And right now, yeah, you're on like a losing team that's on ground zero, you know, ground zero of a rebuild, but that's like the perfect opportunity to enhance your game, expand your game in ways that, let's be real, he probably wouldn't have this if he was, you know, on the 76ers on a team like that, where you can kind of, you know, kind of explore the studio space, if you will. Um, and then for Shea, he understands that, hey, this is going to be his uh, his team, you know, once they actually get like a actual team there. Um, and so for him, you know, he's locked in long term, he's basically the face of the franchise, and you, you said it already. Um, they're they're trying to accumulate draft picks, and you already know what the, what the plan is in Oklahoma City. So I think both of them are, are, are way early. If we're talking maybe, you know, n- maybe next year, I'd probably say more than likely two years down the line. That question all of a sudden becomes a lot more serious if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder front office. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just want SGA on a, on a winner at this point. I want to see him on a good team that's actively trying to win games, and I want to see how he how he works alongside uh, another star. That would be cool. That would be cool. Um, but he seems happy. He's paid. He's chilling. He's the best player on his team. Um, I've long said that Bradley Beal, is, he's got the best situation in the NBA and that he would be foolish to walk away from D.C. Like, D.C. is just a great situation for him. Like, he is uh, he's a martyr. 
for for the city of dc where it's just like oh look at him his 34 percent usage rate again oh he's gonna lead the league in scoring on a team that's barely gonna make the play in poor bradley beal like everyone loves bradley beal i mean uh, outside of the off the court stuff which is uh the vaccine like i'm not even gonna get into that part of it but before all of that before all of that um he had the best situation where it was just that like when you're when you get into the contender window when you get moved to the lakers the clippers or whoever then you're in the paul george zone where it's like no no no, we're going to look at every little thing that you do we are judging you based on whether or not you can get this team to winning a uh, title make it to the western or eastern conference finals like the expectations are different and the microscope is different when you're in that bradley beal zone just putting up bonkers numbers on bad teams well everyone in nba circles are all like he's awesome i would love to see him in a better market on a better team he would just flourish so much and then he's just like no i'm just gonna stay here where everybody loves me and uh i'm gonna keep getting these checks and play basketball and not play defense and uh yeah, that that's what I'm gonna keep doing. It's a great situation. Bradley Beal's got it figured out. I like it. The blueprint. That is the blueprint. Um, the Sacramento Kings, sneaky old now. If you look at their starting five, like you got Rashawn Holmes, you got Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald is 47. Get the Aaron Fox, who has sneakily been in the league a long time now. You look at you look at this group, and you're thinking, oh. This is actually kind of an older team. Um, a lot of the the lottery picks have not panned out. I mean, De'Aaron Fox is awesome. Marvin Bagley still a huge question mark. Um, but yeah, I I think they're sneaky old. We had questions whether or not they were going to move on from Harrison Barnes, Marvin Bagley. I mean, they paid Rashawn Holmes. Uh, De'Aaron Fox seems content. You have Tyrese Halliburton now, who was an older player coming in to the draft, and he and Fox seem to be working really well together. But, you know, there it, it's interesting. Luke Walton survived his job because we were wondering if he was going to get fired. Um, I don't know. The Kings are a really hard team for me to get a read on. I think best case scenario, they're a play-in team. But um, that playoff drought is real. Lauren, are you a believer in this old Kings team? Do you think the majority of these older pieces stay? Do we see a, a jump from De'Aaron Fox this year? How do you see the fit with him and Halliburton long-term? Throwing a lie at you, but what do you think? Yeah, so again, the Kings are another team that absolutely need a vision. Uh, I guess I am a fan of the Halliburton, uh, Darren Fox fit, and I'm also, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Darren Fox. I think he he's incredibly underrated just because of the team that he plays for. Um, and so um, I, I, I do like what they're doing. I thought Davion Mitchell was a fantastic pick. Mike Schmitz said it best the night of the draft. Don't overthink the pick. He might be a little bit older, but it is a good pick. He has a he will have a lot of value moving forward, and it's very clear that what he did in college will translate to the NBA, and and we're already kind of starting to see that uh, in the preseason. Uh, I do think that Harrison Barnes is going to be an incredibly valuable trade chip uh, come the trade deadline. There will be a lot of teams that I think are looking to kind of get that edge, or maybe just or that I, there's going to be a lot of buyers, and so uh, I I do think that he's going to continue to have some value there. Uh, not this year because he just resigned there, but you mentioned Rashawn Holmes. Uh, I believe it was four years, $55 million that he resigned to come back there. That's going to be an incredibly valuable contract. I couldn't believe that they were able to get him back for that that number. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know that they're a part of the long-term vision. Maybe they are. Uh, but Marvin Bagley and Buddy Heald are two guys that I also Thanks. think will be on their way out soon enough. Uh, it's pretty clear that Bagley doesn't want to be there. Uh, and Buddy Buddy Heald, also some questions there. So I think Sacramento has the option to 
or it, it will just be like, what can you do with those assets? What can you turn them into? So, um, so uh, I, I think that there are teams that could use guys and that would like to take the swing on Bagley, could use a guy like Heald, um, and, and could definitely use Harrison Barnes. So uh, I think the Kings have some good some good cards in their in their hand, but it really is just can you execute them well? And I don't know that we've seen enough in recent history uh, of them showing high-level execution of, of in terms of front office moves. That's fair. What do you think, Corbin? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, the Kings, as bad as they were defensively, it, it, their defense was, was, excuse the word, or a bad joke, but their defense was kind of offensive. You know, like, <laughs> it, it was rough. Um, and even with that, even with multiple, you know, kind of rather lengthy losing streaks, they still were just outside of the playing tournament. So, like, yeah, you know, their, their playoff drought extended, but, like, it was a lot closer, you know, mm-hmm. by, by comparison of other years. And I say that because I'm, I guess I'm trying to be more realistic. Buddy Hield was almost gone in a trade, you know, to the Lakers. Uh, Lakers obviously went with a different one. Buddy's been on the market for a minute now. Uh, you could say Marvin Bagley as well. but And, and, and both those players, I would imagine um, more so um, Buddy than Bagley, just have definite skills that, you know, would be a great asset to other teams. I think it's more of the contract that's the issue in his case. But if you're looking at a team that's been kind of caught in traction, I mean, there was, you know, talk that Luke Walton didn't, let go, didn't get let go because it was, you know, of course, financially uh, beneficial to keep him around than to have to pay another coach that isn't actually offering his services to the team. And so when I see this squad, I'm a big fan of, of the – the guard triumvirate that they have between um, Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell, and, and what that can be. Uh, like Lauren said, the fact they're able to bring back to Rashawn Holmes at, at what they were, that's that's just great. And Harrison Barnes had played well enough, you know, people forget for the season last year that there was talk about him possibly being, you know, available for like a first rounder or a couple first rounders. I thought that was crazy, but it was definitely um, in the air. So if you look at this worst case scenario, let's say that you are able to, you know, you're locked in at least to start the season with healed. And um, Bagley, you play them. Uh, it does seem that there's a new mindset, at least through social media, from Bagley of what's come out of King's camps. So you think, okay, maybe he's um, further encouraged to, you know, put in a solid effort. Buddies, you know, has no choice but to be locked in. You have these guys there. There's talk of a different culture. So you see what happens. You know, you start the year. Um, best case scenario, or I guess worst case scenario, you're, you're looking at guys like Buddy, um, like Bagley, to showcase them for other teams, but you know, you win a couple of games, you, like you said, this is an older team, a sneaky older team, so it's not like there's that much youth, even guys like Fox have been around for a couple of years now, and maybe in this wide open West, you can find yourself battling around for a 9th seed, and for Sacramento at this point, I, I would consider that a victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're in a weird spot. I don't know, like Bagley, this is the last year of his contract i mean you have tristan thompson on an expiring you i I just i don't know i think that they just need to focus on making the play in making the playoffs keeping De'Aaron fox happy um but davion mitchell depends on how high you are on him and tyrese halberton i think both can be good players and then calberton's ceiling's pretty pretty high but like no one on this team profiles a top 15 nba player like i don't think there's a path for anyone here so is the best solution just to miss out and get some lottery luck and to find themselves in the top three like maybe but you've been doing that so long just spinning these wheels that like there is something to be said about just making the playoffs and just ending this with fox and healed and barnes and just being competent for for a couple of years and just being a competent basketball team because you can't just keep this cycle and Halliburton's exciting and fun. Mitchell should be 
electric, at least defensively. I don't know if Mitchell, Halliburton, and Fox will hold up uh, defensively, and that three-man group will be able to uh, dominate potentially in the West, uh, but we'll we'll see. I think uh, they're interesting, and I'm also a big Rashawn home guys, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Lakers, Corbin, team you're very familiar with, is my qu- my question for you: Does it come down to health for the LA Lakers to win a title this year? I mean, we're we're seeing it already. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, you already have um right now as we're recording a preseason game going on where without they don't have the Lakers don't have the services of a Trevor Reza, of a Kendrick Nunn, of a Taylor Horton Tucker, um guys who you know they really need minutes for. And when you have a veteran team like the Lakers and they're putting the veteran like we're taking this to just we haven't seen the levels that this word is going to be used for the squad. You are looking at an older team that on the one hand, you know, have seen a lot experience wise that, you know, have a lot of games played, have a lot of accolades and know kind of where to be and, and the, the bumps that come in a normal season, but also, you know, advanced age in basketball usually leads to increased injuries and all that depth that they may have acquired will be gone in a flash. I mean, we've seen that right now and especially in positions of need, um, Right now, the Lakers are pretty thin at that forward spot. And guess what? Their, their presumed starting uh, small forward is is out um, until just before Christmas. And now um, the guy who would also be taking that spot is also out until around the same time. So I really do think that injuries come into play. And especially, it's weird because I think there isn't really a great time for them to happen. But especially on a team right now that is still trying to figure out um, – how they're coming together, you are bringing a guy like Russell Westbrook, who is a a different player in terms of a culture that the Lakers have already initiated around LeBron and AD. So you, you already have a lot that you're trying to kind of meld together. Injuries can sap that too. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of the, the biggest question. I mean, it's really who's going to be healthy um, during this war of attrition that's going to be the season for the Lakers, and then also just how they blend together with Russell Westbrook and the rest of the cast. Well, that's why you signed Matt McClung. That's what you. That's what you do when you get that kind of grit. You saw what he did at Texas Tech. You saw what he he showed at Georgetown. Um, you love that fire, the determination that uh, Old Mac's going to be able to bring uh, out of the Lakers in regular season basketball when they don't want to get up for games. Because Matt McClung will get up for every single game because he is one of the funniest college basketball players I've watched in a long time. Lauren, what do you make of these Lakers? Yeah, I mean, it, it just re- same same kind of. I share the same sentiment as Corbin. Uh, they again, they are kind of, or they are the the favorite, and it, it's hard to say that word, but um, <laughs> just given everything that we've talked about. But as of right now, from a sheer talent standpoint, they have so much talent on that roster, and even though they are a little bit older, older, they just have so many guys that can create their own shot. Uh, but I, I will be interested to see the long term uh, kind of mesh with Russell with this group um it's clear that him and him him and Braun have a great relationship uh so that's obviously a really good sign uh but in the playoffs like it's the playoffs are a different game and so assuming that they are fully healthy I'll be very interested to see how certain teams kind of go up against that matchup uh but again from a talent standpoint I, I I would pick the Lakers over a lot of teams but but yeah it will come down to health uh and and it will be interesting to see who's available whether it's a depth or could potentially be a depth issue or are you missing like someone like Anthony Davis or someone like LeBron or like you just that team could the way that team plays could change so dramatically if they are are struck with injuries so I mean and that's the case for anybody but I I just think with the Lakers like Corbin said older roster higher chance of 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 injuries and so I 
I don't know. You, you never wish injuries on, on anyone, but you gotta, you gotta be prepared. So how, how will they na- navigate that issue? If similar to last season, they're faced with it yet again. Yeah. Wow. Lauren, you were just talking and I just had like, uh, image like just this nightmare scenario of me watching the regular season it starts off with a full cast and by like january it's the kent Bazemore show oh god don't say <laughs> it on a national televised game against the nets i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know i get so i just think what we saw last year is what the lakers cannot have happen again which is they can't get a lower seed they can't get matched up with one of the top four seeds in the west in the first round um that can't happen again there was all this talk before the playoffs got started like oh everything is crazy the bottom four seeds in the west could all upset the top four seeds and that didn't happen across the board um help field advantage still matters in basketball especially playoff basketball it's it, like you're not going to pull off the 99 Knicks situation um, very often. Like that's a rarity. Um, You need to be in the top four seats. You need to be somewhere in there. And I just don't, I don't trust the Lakers to get there. I think that seven spot last year, part of it was, I mean, the injuries and having to play immediately after winning the title in the bubble, um, the wear and tear, Anthony Davis, not getting his full month off. Like this is all great, but like, do you know, I, I just, I'm not the first person to make this point, but like Buddy Heald would have made a lot more sense for this group than Russell Westbrook. Like he would have done a lot more for this group for me than Westbrook. I I understand the regular season aspect of Russell Westbrook, but in the playoffs, like I don't, I don't see how he works. I don't see how this all ends. Well, I don't, I don't like the fit. I still think this ends poorly for Russ in LA. And I don't think he's a Laker even after this year. Like, I think this ends really bad. Um, It's ended bad everywhere as of late. Like this is not a new situation. Like we've seen this in Houston. Now we've seen it in OKC. We've seen it in DC. And I think we're going to see it in LA. I don't think it's going to be a different story. Um, I, I just, I'm pretty low on the Lakers. I think they're obviously gonna be a playoff team. I just don't think this collection of talent and LeBron missing any amount of time. Like if he takes a two to three week sabbatical, it's over because I think they're going to fall off a cliff because if you look at Westbrook without Beal last year, the team wasn't good. And I don't think Westbrook can just carry this group with AD for for a month if LeBron misses time or AD misses time. Like, I don't think they have the roster to do it. So, I don't know. Too much has to go right with this group for me. And the West is too deep. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not a Lakers believer. I'm sorry, Corbin. Wow. I was going to say, I mean, listen, you've got the right person because I'm not only a, a Laker believer, but I'm also a Westbrook fan. And oh, no. I would say Stan, but yeah, oh, no. the Westbrook stands oh, no. can get kind of toxic there. But like, I, I will I will say this. Westbrook in the playoffs, no. I think we've seen um, from OKC, and I've, I've watched with just great anticipation every playoff series he's been in, you know, at least since Katie's left. So we've seen Utah, we've seen Portland. Oh, geez, I've seen the Lakers. We've seen it all. And you're right. Come the playoffs, his, his weaknesses are magnified. His strengths are lessened. Uh, but I do think that for the regular season, yeah, not only does he he lift the, the floor of this, the, I guess, yeah, the floor of this team. I always get the ceiling floor mixed up. But, like, <laughs> also I think he's playing all due respect, you know, with better talent than he has before. If we look at last year, you know, when it wasn't Bradley Beal, all due respect to those woods, they tried really hard, but come on now, like that, that, that you had three point guards and like two centers and that was your starting lineup for, for large chunks of the season. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at the Rockets, you know, yes, I will say that he didn't really come into full West before until they had traded away their starting center to open the floor for him. But he was really effective when they did. And then unfortunately COVID and a quad injury happened. 
right before the playoffs started. So you weren't getting 100% Westbrook at all. Um, even then, I still think his shooting is not like that would have went to like 38% or anything. But you, you see what I'm saying? He wasn't able to be 100% effective then. I think now, I think the real cord for this Lakers team is LeBron. And that's still scary. I think Westbrook definitely helps to mitigate some of that during the regular season. But during the playoffs, they're going to go as far as he is. Because if he's, you know, the same LeBron we had first round last season – yeah, their, their, their season's going to end short of a finals berth, I would imagine. Because as good as Westbrook and AD can be, you know, that's that's not raising them clearly above the rest. As as Lauren mentioned, they're, they're favorites right now just because of collective talent. And I am also a, a, a fan of, of, of the talent kind of superseding all for the most part. Um, but in the playoffs, it definitely gets you know, a little bit more limited um, if weaknesses are that pronounced. And so unless Westbrook's new jump shot is just great, um, you just have to hope for great LeBron health. And that's a lot for someone, you know, as they say, every time we mention LeBron, it's almost obligatory to be like, he's 37 years old, year 18, <laughs> you know? So I just did it again. Yeah. I mean, two to three, two of the three last years, he's been injury prone. I, I just think that's part of the territory. I don't think it's realistic to expect 82 games from him, um, which is my biggest, uh, biggest worry. Um, the Warriors, a team I'm not worried about whatsoever, but I do have this question to you, Lauren. Can Steph replicate what he did a year ago, and will that vaunt the Golden State Warriors back into contention in the West? Absolutely. Mm. I I don't think there should be any hesitation on Steph. Uh, and, and, and maybe he'll, he'll prove me wrong. Maybe, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Nothing crazy happens with him. I know we've we've seen it before uh, with some of these guys, but I have no reason to think that he can't do what he did last year. And he's got he's going to have so much more help this year. Uh, there are definitely questions with Clay of how are you returning after two significant injuries, and those questions are absolutely valid. Uh, but I do think that this roster is is a good one. Like some of the additions that they made in the off season were like underrated ones just given i mean they weren't talked about as much just i think because of the dollar amount that they were bringing some of these guys in for uh but like auto porter bringing him in is 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 an underrated move like that's just one example but uh i think james wiseman i kind of mentioned this before uh james wiseman is someone that they're not going to really need him to do anything crazy everything that he's going to do just because of his size if he can stay on the floor uh will be helpful everything that they're looking for from these rookies the expectation is not going to be very high and so i think steph is just absolutely stoked to have his group back together and and going into the season healthy uh and ready to go uh and yeah i i think this warriors team is going to be dangerous i'm i'm I might get some some blowback here, but I'm probably higher on the Warriors this season than I am the Suns. Ooh, okay. Um, uh oh, there comes the cannon. I sorry. No, I mean that's interesting because like we'll get to the Suns, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's not that outlandish because I think I I have them both in my top four in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, so like my top four in the West doesn't include either LA team. Like I have mm-hmm. one Jazz, wow. two. Oh, yeah, one Jazz, two Nuggets three warriors four sons that's where i have my preseason power rankings at the moment um i just the warriors like clay like when clay comes back it, we'll see I, i'm not as worried about clay as other people i think clay will be fine even if he's not the player that he was even 80 mm-hmm. percent of clay is so much better than what they were doing last year and they still made the play sure. in um i think steph has got at least another couple years of doing this kind of Steph stuff um, the Wigan stuff, who knows, wild card. But yeah, the way Andre Iguodala is talking about James Wiseman 
has me perked up a little bit. I'm curious uh, to see what Wiseman looks like uh, this season because last year was not good and they just mm-hmm. don't have time to wait on Wiseman. It's not really his fault. He's in a weird right. predicament where their timeline does not match him. But then you bring in Kaminga, you bring in Moody. Jordan Poole looks like a real, real third guard who can fill that Sean Livingston, Leandro Barbosa combination. You have Juan Toscano-Anderson, who they have found. I mean, they're actually low-key deep. I'm not as big on Otto mm-hmm. Porter, and I would not be surprised if he and Bialika and Bradley or whoever, like, they don't play a role. But mm-hmm. this is the deepest the Warriors have been in a long time. Like, they have been so thin thanks to their title team, and it resulted in a title like they wanted like it all worked out everything they did made sense and bob myers did a great job but the price of that is what happened to the heat after the big three and like lebron getting upset about losing mike miller and all these different guys and having to lose his guys but that's just part of going all in on an expensive team like the the warriors have gone all in on steph clay and draymond that's just how it is so you were going to lose some people i am extremely high on this warriors team and they're hungry clay's back i I, I have the Warriors as a top four seed, and I would not be surprised if they're pushing everybody in the West. What about you, Corbin? I feel like it's my turn to be a chase uh, downer for Ooh. the Warriors now. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm not super high. I think that uh, this team will be a playoff team, but I think, yet again, uh, at least um, on paper, they definitely look better. They definitely look deeper. Uh, I just do think a lot's going to still fall on Steph's shoulders to be just uh, a consistent um, reliable offensive initiator for the squad because you are looking at these guys and you know on paper it does look good. I mean, want uh, Toscano Anderson? I'm not starting with him like as a as a offensive guy, but he definitely had a strong season last year. Um, Jordan Poole uh, has had just an electric preseason uh, and played well last year uh, as well. But you look at Clay Thompson, you're hoping that yes, while not coming back to you know, he doesn't have to make a use of, like, this extra uh, extraordinary athleticism or anything. But you, you do want to be able to make, you know, be, be healthy, be on the floor for, for large chunks of minutes and provide some juice offensively, at least from a shooting. That's fine. Um, aside from that, uh, you're looking at, like, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole to have an even greater season than last year and kind of build off that while also um, hoping that some of his defensive concerns from last year are gone. You know, you're, you're looking at issues like that. You're, you're looking at a guy like Andrew Wiggins who had a very strong year last year to somehow, you know, keep that going and not regress because it's Andrew Wiggins. I'll do respect. I love the guy, but <laughs> we, we've, we've seen this. You know, there's, there's question marks on who's going to consistently bring it. Will Draymond give you more than four points a game? You know, his, you know, eight rebounds and um, 13 assists be darned. And, and that's what I'm concerned about because otherwise you have a lot of guys who can, you know, finish plays, but they're not making anything uh, for themselves. And if they're not making Curry's job easier, even for spells, then I can see this being an issue. So, that that's my question. That's not even going into health from other guys like Otto Porter, who I think you know I'm not super high on him just because he has been injured so much. But like in theory, he is that kind of bigger three and D guard, um, three and D wing that the Warriors have made great use of over their you know over their recent stretch. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I think part of that is you just you wanna you wanna poo poo the <laughs> the Warriors for your Lakers because both cannot rise. I think that's I, what I this is. This. Mm-hmm. I have a <laughs> seeking suspicion like about you and the Clippers. I, I'm I'm ready for your Clippers take because I I have a I have a suspicion about that one. Um, speaking of the Suns, Lauren, you you mentioned the Suns here. We got to go back to you. Mm-hmm. Do you think they missed their window last season? That that was it. Everything went right. Everything in the West went their way, and 
that that's it that that was their one shot the west is too deep they don't have the pieces chris paul is a year older um what what is your reason for for being a little bit down on the suns this year yeah unfortunately i do think that they missed their window uh i think that they are going to be a tough team in the west moving forward i don't think that they what's crazy is that i don't think that they've taken a step back and a lot of their young guys are going to continue to get better mikhail bridges is going to get like continue to just evolve as a player deandre aiden had a great season last year like they have a great camp johnson another one like they have a great roster the West is just so tough. And yeah, Chris Paul is an incredible leader for that team. Uh, they are going to be a very tough team in the West. But yeah, you said it best. Everything went right for them last year. They had the path. They executed it. They got to the finals. Um, but they just they just didn't get it done. And so now I just, I do think that they missed their window. Mm. Corbin, do you share that sentiment? I, I mean, I can't just because like... I do think the West is kind of wide open, so I can't really say. I do agree with what Lauren's saying, and I thought that for a minute. I said, oh, wow, that was it. You know, they mm-hmm. really kind of lucked out on some unfortunate injuries. They played really strong like this. That was their moment. But, I mean, at the same time, were they a number one or two seed? No, I, I don't think so. But, like, I think they were a very strong team that, you know, just had a, collect- a collective um, – I-, I don't want to say collective dominance. I feel like a strong word. But they just had collective success that I think can – can, can can be replicated. I, I you look at a lot of the guys. Yes, Chris Paul. You know you do worry about him fading a little bit in his age thirty seven season. But when you look at other guys like Devin Booker, like Mikael Bridges, like DeAndre, Eden, you know you can. I think it's reasonable to expect um, some more internal development between all three of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you add to that, I think Devell McGee is the kind of backup big that they didn't have last year that will spell um, Aiden perfectly and also kind of replicate the same type of play that he brings in the game, especially with someone who's going to find him on lobs like Paul again and again. You know, um, you do bring in a shooter like Landry Shamit, you keep the rest of your core pretty much intact. I, I, I like it. I, I think mm-hmm. that it's a solid group that um, do I expect it? No, I, I agree with Lauren. I don't expect it at all. But I think that, you know, I think they can hold their own against most teams in the West, especially in a, in a I would, let's just say, depleted Western Conference. My one pushback would be, and I don't want to buy too much into it right now, but if, you know, extension talks with DeAndre Aiden kind of linger and the deadline passes, then I think this becomes a problem. And then you can probably look at, I, I don't want to project what I think Aiton would be like because I, I don't know the guy or, or it's like <laughs> play in that way. But you can imagine that everything just wouldn't be all peachy keen over in Phoenix if that's something that extends throughout the season. It becomes an issue, you know. So that'd be my concern. But I, I like them. I think they'll be okay. I I think they're going to be okay to the extent that like they're going to be as long as Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, this group, Devin Booker, they're all together. Things are fine. Do I think they'll have the same injury luck that they had last year? I don't. Um, I think that a lot went their way. A lot of it, too, for me, is just that, like, is this what DeAndre Ayton is? Did they go far, like, go far, go too far back, rather, uh, last year? Because, like, if you watch what he was doing, the the mid-elbow shots, not looking for any contact, not rebounding, not being a rim protector, just trying to be a Carlos Boozer, late stage Carlos <laughs> Boozer, 18 and 10, not having any impact on the game. Like that's what it looked like. And you're like, oh, this is a disaster. And then he becomes a rim running defensive anchor, um, just a critical piece to the Suns. And that shows that like he's willing to sacrifice to make this team win. However, there comes a point where Chris Paul's got to be phased out and Devin Booker needs more help and like 
a lot of people are talking themselves into Mikhail Bridges being more, but I, I don't know. I still just see 3 and D there. I don't see playmaker for him. I don't think that's ever going to be a thing for him. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. Great player. I don't think he's that. Um, DeAndre Ayton is that last piece. Like if he is got another level to him and he can have a higher usage and he's not just going to be a rim running guy who catches lobs and does the Clint Capella stuff for them, then maybe, then maybe this has staying power. But if that's not the case, Chris Paul's only getting older. Devin Booker is going to grow frustrated because he's going to look around and he is just like, I am the only guy who is a top 15 guy on this team. I am like, I cannot do it by myself year over year. I don't know. I, I'm curious about that because the Nuggets are not in this position. The Jazz are not in this position, but the Suns are. And uh, I'm curious. And it's just going to be really hard to get back after losing. I mean, it's it's tough to go back after that kind of uh, run and to just run it back. But Monty's a great coach. And James Jones, by all accounts, to this point, nailed it as an executive. So we shall see. We shall see. Uh, next up, the Spurs. Lauren, I got to toss this one to you because, like, I, I know you're delighting in the the demise of the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> it looks like this is it for Pop. The Mad Spurs rivalry of years lore that we grew up with is gone. It's been dead for years. Um, if this is it for Pop this season, does that mean they won't blow it up for you? Does that mean, like, Murray, White, Walker, everybody is just, they're going to see what happens and... Even if they're awful, they're not going to do anything. Like, is that the way this is going to go? And is this going to be a really, really sad, sad exit for one of the best coaches this league's ever seen? You know, I I don't know that I could give you like a clear, oh, this is exactly what's going to happen. Because, I mean, there was a moment there where, where DeJounte Murray and Derek White, uh, both of their their values were kind of being felt out, uh, or at least it was reported that that was that that was taking place. And so, after drafting Josh Primo, uh, which caught some people by surprise, yeah, that kind of seemed like okay, maybe Dejounte Murray is a little bit more available uh, than you might think. He's still very young. I want to say he's only like twenty four. Um, I don't think he's turned twenty five yet, but I could be wrong. Um, but like they have a very young roster, but it's like, hey, what is their timeline? Like they they really liked you know Trey Jones, what he did in in summer league. He had a pretty good uh, performance. Like they've got a lot of young guys that are kind of like, okay, where what's our timeline? Where are we looking? Are we? I mean, we're still obviously trying to build through the draft. Um, Devin Vassell, like Calden Johnson, probably the big like the the biggest piece of that core. Uh, like what is the answer? And so with Dejounte Murray and and even Derek White, I think that there is a, a chance that they do get moved because they do have value. And again, other pieces that teams will be looking at the Spurs saying, "Hey, like we're buyers. We're trying to get that get over the hump. Like this is somebody that we could add that could come be a starter for our team." Uh, so I do think that there's a chance that they do get moved. But I wouldn't necessarily bank on it. Like, Pop is not the guy that's like, hey, yeah, I'm openly tanking. Like, that's just not him. And if it is his final season, then no, I don't think he's going to necessarily want to just blow it up. But at the same time, it's like, haven't they already kind of blown it up? And so I, I just don't know. And, like, and, and I don't mean that to be like in a disrespectful way, but I, I, I do think that they, they have hit full rebuild and they've been in that, that mode for a minute. And so... Uh, again, I think there will be people that are looking at their roster, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's going to just be a fire sale and pops last year. I, I, I don't think it'll be that messy. What a mistake that Kawhi trade was. That ended everything. Mm. I mean, just the DeRozan package. I just, man, I'm sure if he could do it all over again, he would, uh, he would do it all over again. But man, it's, <laughs> 
Yikes. But that was like one of those where we didn't need hindsight. Like we all at the time, all collectively, we're like, oh, this is awful. This is not, uh, it was a terrible situation to be in, but that was, that was bad. Um, that was bad. But, you know, maybe Josh Primo is the guy. Maybe being a 14-year-old wonder kid, like he's, he's going to do great. Um, just coming immediately off of being like the 12th guy in Alabama this year. So uh, who, who knows? Who knows? What do you think, Corbin? Are you a Spurs believer? Do you think that maybe it goes the other way and they maybe flirt with the plan this year? Because I think they're going to be the second worst team in the West. Oh, um, I mean, first of all, for Josh Primo, I'm all I'm all aboard the um, NBA Doogie Howser train for him, so <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of see how that works. But like, it's weird. It's weird. I, I feel like the Spurs are on that treadmill of mediocrity. Uh, that that trade we just referenced, the Kawhi trade, kind of just cemented that because. I love DeMar DeRozan's time in San Antonio, and he, you know, clearly improved his own game. But the Spurs, it felt like their growth was kind of stunted around him. And everyone knew, I mean, this was, what, at the time, his 10th season NBA. Like, everyone knew DeMar DeRozan and, and how he played. So, I just feel like they were kind of stuck. And you saw that. They didn't make the playoffs any of those three seasons. They were on the outside looking in. And now you're at a spot where DeMar's gone. You still have most of the same group of guys. Um, I would say DeJounte Murray, chief among them, who are, okay, kind of the young core but, like, for the most part, they're not all that – like, they're young, but they're also not, like, really exciting. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. And I think as long as Pop's there, like Lauren said, yeah, they're not blowing it up. You know, like like she said, they're the best thing you can hope is that different guys available. You see what happens. You you know, you keep your your um, your head up and, and kind of looking around to see who's available. But, like, even the way they attacked this offseason, there was no offer for John Collins. It was the, – the things that were kind of talked about in terms of what San Antonio could do to kind of jumpstart that, that, that rebuild, even – Staying tuned as much as I'm not a big fan for like a a, a Larry Marketing. That didn't happen. They ended up going with uh, Zach Collins and Alfred Camino. And I would take that. That was actually that was a win for them. I don't know if you watched any Laurie Marketing in Cleveland thus far, but I think that's a that's no, a win. No. Uh, looking at it now, I, I agree. But I'm saying if you're trying, like at least then, okay, he's so bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a Laurie Marketing guy over here. I see. I can't say I'm the biggest fan either. But I'm saying make a move to go in a direction mm-hmm. one way or the other. They didn't make any to go upwards. They didn't make any become, I don't think, demonstrably worse. I don't agree. Like, they're going to be at the very, very bottom. Um, not as long as, like, you know, Minnesota exists. But, like, with But Minnesota's that, trying to win. Minnesota's got Corinthian Towns. If he plays 82 games, like, I just, I think it's hard for Minnesota to still be that bad in year seven for Towns. Like, I, I think he just is too good to keep them there at this point. I, I almost agree. With, well, I'm sure we're going to get to that. Only yeah, we'll get to the T-Wolves. Is, is Minnesota. But, anyways, um, but, yeah, going back, I just feel like, they're, they're kind of stuck where they are. And are they – what, next time they're going to be drafting in between 10 and 13? This, this is a team that I, I can't even say I'm really remarkably, like, excited about. I definitely am encouraged by Pop and what he's trying to do um, just to continue to coach and be around this squad. But I don't know. I guess I, I'm, I'm right where Lauren is. Like, I'm just kind of – just kind of like meh, you know. Well, Lauren's excited about it. Lauren's excited about it with the <laughs> the maps right there. Uh, but also, Pop's got a he's got a career for him in the the, the San Antonio school board. Like, uh, I think uh, I would vote for him. He he was going after different uh, municipalities. Uh, I think it was yesterday. So shout out to Pop. He's he's preparing uh, for his post NBA role. But um, the Mavs, your team. I have a question for you, Lauren. Do they have the right pieces for Luka Doncic to get this team to a top four seed this season? Because I see a lot of stuff with, oh, they can finally make a run, Luka. I mean, 
fit Luca is a thing. The muscle season is here. <laughs> Luca is coming in in shape. Um, KP, maybe he's healthy, but Rick Carlisle out, Jason Kidd in. Um, everything comes down to can they win enough regular season games to make a top four seed, and then we can maybe see some noise finally. I mean, it would be nice for him to catch up to Trey at some point. Like that would be that would be a good thing to show that he has. <laughs> I can't even finish that. Lauren, what do you make of all that? Um, Oh, man. Do they have the pieces? It's funny because the main reason that I do think that they have the ability to be a top four team this year, or top four seed this year, is because of of how good Luka is. So can they be a top four seed? Yes. Do they have the right pieces? Uh, I like this group. And I, I have been very encouraged by what I've seen uh, with Porzingis and Luca lately. Uh, I've been following a lot of their interactions more so than like what they're doing statistically or highlight-wise in preseason. You can only take so much away from preseason. But this entire time, media day, moving forward, I have been eyes like a hawk watching their interactions. And I've been very encouraged by, encouraged by what I've seen. Um, and so... To me, it, it, again, it comes down to can Porzingis be healthy? But as of right now, yes, I do feel like this group is solid enough uh, to be a top four seed because, again, and a lot of that comes down to the state of the West. It is wide open. Injuries, like they are a younger roster, Dallas is, uh, but some of these teams that are, are predicted to be at the top of the West have older players that could go down with injuries and that could completely derail their season. Um uh, Again, same with uh, we might be a younger roster, but we have a player that is injury prone and that same thing could happen to us. So I think that there is a real or a a scenario where they do finish top four. Um, But I don't know this team this year. I keep saying that this year is going to be about proving who they are moving forward. Can Porzingis be that number two guy? I actually have really liked what Jason Kidd is doing in terms of having them, even though, again, it's only been preseason, but having them mirror each other's minutes to try and continue to build that chemistry, uh, it seems like it's working. And so I, I like what I've seen, uh, and, and we'll see what they can do in the preseason if everyone can stay healthy. But I do think Luka just is that good, that they can be the top four seed if everyone is on the same page and everyone stays healthy. There you go. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's just, I don't want to put pressure on Luka, but there was something to be said about Trey Young and just his his postseason heroics. While Luca was nowhere to be found, people are people are talking. Um, Corbin, what do you what do you make of Lauren's optimism in Dallas? I mean, I mostly agree. I think that I mean I haven't watched a ton of Dallas preseason, but like, hey, I'm I'm all about the vibes. Um, the vibes seem good, you know. Uh, Luca is just that good. So I think in the regular season, most definitely um the way his 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 the way just how way he plays and i i just think that it'll be fine especially in the west that again is wide open those top four spots are far from locks across the board i think dallas can find their way there for sure i do worry about other guys stepping up not named luca just moving into the postseason i think that even with Kristaps, you know uh let's say presumably just becoming a better um second option like that's still you're not gonna play through Porzingis you know what I mean like Luca is kind of where it begins and ends and I, I don't know who kind of relieves and I thought I was hoping the Mavericks would kind of rectify an offseason I guess they tried to I'm um, going after Kyle Lowry and others but like who else is there kind of initiating the offense it looks like once again the job's gonna fall to Jalen Brunson who had a great year last year but I just 
call me a pessimist. I, I just don't think he's the guy to kind of spell Luca for those minutes as someone else who can do anything outside of just finishing plays um, mm-hmm. in terms of initiation and such. I'm looking out on the board, you know, some of the guys they brought in, um, Sterling Brown, Reggie Bullock, they bring you great three-point shooting, and Sterling Brown did handle the ball some in Houston, but not enough that you look at him like another offensive initiator. So that'll be my concern. Very excited and, and, to be with and this even man. then, it would be more toward um, the postseason that that would be something. But for the regular season, top four seed, why not? Yeah, I'll book it. Yeah, and if, if I can add to that, I think a big thing that will play into them potentially being this top four seed is look at their division. They're playing the Spurs four times, the Pelicans four times, um, and the Rockets four times. Like th- those th- those three teams are, I mean, let's just let's just call a spade a spade here. Like I, I, Dallas, that those are those are very winnable games, and and they should win. I mean, I'm sure they're going to drop a few, but those are those are all those should be easy wins for them to kind of contribute to to their record, as opposed to some other teams that have uh, some some tough tougher divisions. So I I don't know, but yeah, it's definitely with Dallas. There are a lot of questions, and it's it, it's not boom or bust because again, it's not like a year to year season for for a lot of these teams, but they I think that they have room to really surprise people, but also room to you know, let a lot of people down. And it's, it, it, I hate being that team. That's like, you don't know what you're going to get, but uh, it is kind of a wait and see thing. Unfortunately. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, speaking of wait and see the Houston Rockets, and we're waiting on ever seeing them being a competitive basketball team ever again. We're, I mean, shouts to Stephen Silas, just a, a rough situation for him to be in for the foreseeable future. Uh, but Jalen green, summer league assassin, Corbin, is he your rookie of the year favorite? Oh yeah, I loved. I mean, I watched a ton of. I like being at summer league this year. I watched a ton of the Rockets, and um, he's just as far as scoring NBA ready is 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 just being just putting an understatement out there. I think that he definitely has the ability to average 20 points per game. Like, his first, he's definitely going to get the opportunity the shots in Houston <laughs> for sure. But, like, he comes in and, I like, already, like, the offense translates at a high level. You know, I don't think he's going to find um, as many bumps in the road as you would expect. Even normal, you know, high high college, uh, high um, pro- high scoring prospects. That's what I'm looking for. Um, I, I don't think that will be, that will be that much of an issue um, for Green. Now, mind you, you know he is going to probably have six for twenty games, and a lot of that is just due to the, the type of shot selection he has and the fact that yes, he's a rookie, and that even as ready as he is, it is still an adjustment playing against like the absolute best defenders in the NBA. Um, but I, I think he's a special player. Um, you know, he gets a chance hopefully to keep building his body out, um, working on his distribution skills, um, hopefully becoming a, a secondary um, play initiator alongside Kevin Porter Jr. But you, you got to love um, where Jalen Green is going. And I, I guess because for some of the other guys, I'm, I'm big on Alperin Shangun. That's, that's my guy. You know, <laughs> um, Josh Christopher had his moments as well. Even um, Usman Garuba um, mm-hmm. as a defensive big on a team that is going to need at least some defense or at least to pretend to have some, that, that'll be huge for Houston. So all these guys they picked up in this in this recent uh, draft class, it's exciting. I mean, the, the losses are definitely going to pile up, but you should see some fun basketball while it's happening. Lauren, what do you think? Are you are you really excited to, to watch some uh, Daniel Tice? Um, <laughs> I can't even finish this. Some oh Daniel gosh, Tice, Jalen Green, pick and pops. Like that's uh, that's what we're here for. David Naba in the corner. Um, oh my goodness! It's they're gonna lose a bunch of basketball games. I don't think Eric Gordon's gonna be long for this team. I will say, if I'm John Wall, 
the whole Bradley Beal point, just I would kind of want to be a mentor here. Just ride it out. You're getting paid $44 million. Play some basketball with Jalen Green. You don't do much. Let him let the rook cook. You have DJ Augustine to back you up if you need to. Shout out to DJ Augustine. is just going to be getting two-year deals for the rest of his life. Um, it, this is just a really weird roster. And then it's just like the huge wild card is Kevin Porter Jr., Lauren. Do you think we see a, an argument over who gets the ball last late in the game between Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr.? Because I'm here for it. I'm here for the high usage rate between the two of them and how they coexist in a backcourt where they're going to put up all the points and also give up all the points <laughs> uh it's interesting uh i i don't think i i think it's going to become very clear that jalen green is the guy that you want you want the ball in his hands for that last second shot mm-hmm. uh and i i do think kpj will be willing to kind of let that let that happen and and, and I, I will also say that i think that there will be games where kevin porter jr can't miss and he does get the last shot or maybe Jalen Green, the play is called for him, but he gets doubled and he willingly passes the ball off to the guy with the hot hand. Uh, and I think that they're going to be able to coexist and make that work is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but to also kind of reiterate what Corbin said, I absolutely loved their draft. Like they, you mentioned that they're in a position where they're they're not going to win very many games, and so they took. I mean, they made moves on draft night and and took as many different kinds of players as you really could get. I mean, I'm a big Josh Christopher fan. Uh, I think that that was a fantastic pickup uh, in in the 20s. Um, and so, and yeah, Chain Goon, like he, he'll be interesting to monitor in terms of how what position he ends up play, like just how he translates and and what he goes into. Uh, Garuba, I thought was a, an excellent pick as well. Um, so I just I do really like what they're doing, uh, and I do think that yeah, there's a there's a decent shot, a, a solid chance that he does win Rookie of the Year uh, if there's if Cade you know, struggles with, with his ankles uh, and just kind of what that looks like. But I, I do, it's weird being a Mavs fan and kind of how I look at the Rockets now because they're in full rebuild, but they are going to be a super fun team to watch, even though, like you mentioned, they're probably going to drop, drop a decent number of games. They're going to be a fun league pass watch for sure. Yeah. Kevin Porter Jr. is just a delight to watch. So I'm excited to, to see the both of them play, play basketball, even if they don't want any games. Um, the Clippers, Corbin, here's your opportunity to dump on another Western Conference juggernaut that is not the Los Angeles Lakers. They just paid Terrence Mann, Kawhi Leonard, probably not playing this season, at least in the regular season. Can they survive a regular season with Terrence Mann, Paul George, and this this group without without Kawhi Leonard? Is Eric Bledsoe going to be able to to stop the bleeding and get this team to a four or five seed, maybe even a three seed. What do you think? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, next question. No. Um, next question. <laughs> I think that, that they'll be a competitive team. I don't see them in the top three, no. Okay. Uh, I think that, you know, you are you're, – you're looking at this. It almost feels to me like a kind of holdover year. For the Clippers, they're going to be competitive. I don't think they're going to slip quite down to the playoff tournament. I'm looking more five or six. Um, Paul George, I think, is going to get a chance to redeem himself in the national eye. I think too much of the narrative's gone the other way. Like, Paul George had a very good year. He just is prone to some peaks and valleys, you know? Um, had a, a remarkably consistent postseason um, until he kind of tied out toward the stretch there. So a lot of that's going to look toward him. Uh, you do look at hopefully some um, internal development from guys like Luke Kennard, who definitely had an uneven season um, last year 
in Los Angeles, as well as guys like you already mentioned, Terrence Mann. Um, what can you get from newcomer Justice Winslow as well? And then you still have, of course, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum. These guys are, are going to be a tough squad. They're going to be a tough out regardless. But I think that top of your town, that Kawhi level town, isn't there. And I mean, the fact that Ter- uh, Terrence Mann, I like him, but like the jump shot just came last year. Um, let's see if this is something that's not just a flash in the pan from the postseason and something that they can kind of move on with going forward. Um, as far as the addition of Eric Bledsoe, I think the backcourt is definitely um, definitely a step downward, and, and that's even with Patrick Beverly missing so much time last year and the Rajon Rondo experiment that, you know, didn't work out. But Eric Bledsoe has just had just kind of a down year. I mean, he's a career 33% shooter from three. Um, he's had several years even below that. Um, defensively, he definitely took a step back in New Orleans last year, although whether that was just because he checked out or it was some physical decline, that kind of remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, this squad is still going to be a, t- a tough unit. I look at them more like the Clippers the season before they got Kawhi and Paul George. So the 2018-2019 year where, you know, yeah, when they play like the, the creme de la creme, it, they were going to lose. But, like, they would fight, they would scrap, and, and, and they would give it all they had. And I think that you have a, a coaching upgrade in terms of strategy from Ty Lu that will definitely eke out every bit of talent that this roster has to offer. Ooh, I don't know. Gap year is so weird, and I would just be so nervous if I'm a Clipper fan if it's a gap year. Like they can, it just it sounds good in theory, but like the years just add up with Kawhi and another year of Paul George, and if is he happy doing a full year without uh, really competing, and is his fan base okay with it? Is Balmer okay with it? Um, I don't know. This is this is strange. It's a strange team. Lauren, are you a, are you do you share the same sentiment as Corbin here with the Clippers? Uh, uh, let me start by saying I do share the same sentiment. I'm actually pretty much in the exact same boat in, in terms of the Clippers not being top three, but kind of being middle of the road, just given Paul George and kind of where they've been in the past. Uh, and I'm sure you both can imagine how difficult that is for me to say, mm. given these past <laughs> two postseason uh, outcomes for the Mavs. Uh, but yeah, I think the Clippers are in a, like you said, they're, they're in an interesting spot. There's a lot of new additions to this roster who, uh, some of these guys like have been in the league for a minute, like Eric Bledsoe more so than guys like Harry Giles or, or, uh, um, Justice Winslow, but it will be interesting to see how they, they fit together. Uh, there are a lot of, like, even some of these young guys that they just came away with in the, in the draft, like Keon Johnson, I asked Ty Lue after the preseason game, like, what he expects from Keon Johnson this year, and he said, just play hard and play defense. And I was like, well, okay, that seems pretty easy enough. And so I just, uh, I don't know what to expect from them. Is it kind of a gap year? And I, that's kind of the sense that I'm getting, but I don't, but at the same time, like you got Paul George, like they're going to be good enough to be competitive. Personally, I'm a little bit lower on Eric Bledsoe. I don't think that that was really a great pickup for them. Uh, but that's just my personal opinion. And I, I just don't know that it's going to pan out very well. So I don't expect them to like miss the playoffs. Um, but I, I do think that they're going to be uh, toward the, the bottom half of, of that playoff picture. It was nice of both LA teams to be synonymous in acquiring point guards that are not going to do what they think they're going to do for their teams. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> calm, calm down. <laughs> okay, Chase. <laughs> Couldn't wow. be my team. Sharif Cooper, Delon Wright, uh, Trey Young. I still can't believe they got Sharif Cooper. Don't even get me started. Yes. It never ends. <laughs> Deepest team in basketball. Let's go. And also... Lauren, I resent that point from Ty Lue. Um, Keon Johnson, as a VFL right here, sitting in my studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, and having watched a bunch of Keon Johnson, 
He does those two things, but Ty Lue not asking Keon to throw down a disgusting dunk every other game is it, it tells me he has not watched enough Keon Johnson tape. That is what it tells me, is that he has not gone to the archives to watch the hops that that man has. Uh, he can't shoot. He's not a lead ball handler. He has the look of a good defender, but he does. he's a really, really frustrating player. I still like Keon Johnson, but that man is good for a lot of big-time dunks if they let him do it. Dude's got hops. Yeah, he d- he does have hops, and one of the like most fun things about watching him play is sometimes when he when he takes it all the way to the paint and he pulls up uh, for like just a little short range jumper, and just how much how high he gets off yes. the ground. Like he's just he's so athletic. He floats. He does. He does float. And so uh, again, like Brandon Boston, like just they have so many young players that I'm I'm intrigued by. Uh, and so do they? What I really wanted to ask Tyloo if I had more time with him was. Uh, you know, how do you balance this set? I, obviously, I wouldn't have used the term gap year, but like, how do you balance um, trying to be competitive and prepare yourself for a potential Kawhi return if he does, if he is kind of on an accelerated timeline or uh, and how do you balance that with some of these young guys that you're trying to see? You know, who are they? Are they are they ahead of maybe where we first thought they were when we drafted them or assigned them or, or whatever the case may be when we took a flyer on them, whatever. Uh, so I, I will be interested to see how that goes. And, and maybe that answer changes uh, throughout the season. I don't know, but yeah, very, very interesting team this year. Or just ask like, does Lawrence Frank hate you? Does he want <laughs> you to try and make Eric Bledsoe and Luke Kennard work as your point guard rotation? What does he have against you? Why does this man want you to fail? These are questions that need to be asked. Um, the Utah Jazz, a team that I am extremely high on. And my gut tells me I'm higher on the Jazz than uh, both of you guys tonight. But we shall see. We shall see. Uh, they bring back everybody. They re-sign Conley, which is a huge, huge deal because they were not able to sign anybody else. Uh, if they were to lose him, it basically for nothing and their championship window's over and everything gets a lot worse. They bring back Clarkson. They bring back Ingles. Bo- Bogey is back. You sign Rudy Gay. Um, this team's deep. Uh, Jared Butler, the wild card young guy from the Baylor championship team, Eric Pascal, who I believe was high school teammates with, um, I want to say Mitchell, right? I, I don't believe I misread that earlier on. I mean, obviously Royce O'Neal is back, but all the good vibes on this Utah team. I think Utah is winning the West this year. They are my Western conference champion pick. Um, whether it's the the Nets or the Bucks is remaining, it remains to be seen. But they are my pick. Lauren, do you agree with this sentiment? Are you a Jazz believer? <laughs> um, you know they might have proved me wrong this last year. This last year, I was it. I was impressed by what they were doing in the regular season, and I really wanted to see how they were going to be able to put it together in the playoffs. But the playoffs are a different animal, and. I did not like what I saw from the Utah Jazz only because it's the same concerns with Porzingis. Are you going to be faced with a matchup each year where you have a big man who cannot guard on the perimeter and you essentially are just, I I hate the term played off the floor, so I'm not going to use it, but like you're just in, you have to completely alter your defensive scheme to fit the playoff play style. And so with the Jazz, I think that, that that is a valid concern. Do I think they have the best chance to be the number one seed? Yeah, I actually do. Uh, with I again, I think their their biggest competitor for that number one seed is going to be the Lakers, but the Lakers just don't need to be the number one seed. They don't have to. And so uh I think that again, they're gonna kinda rest some guys towards the end of the season if they see that they're in a good position to avoid the play in, uh and, and just kinda rev up 
to come in and, and hit the ground running in the playoffs. Uh, and, and again, the, the other teams that are going to be kind of maybe finishing towards the top of the West are uh, there are health concerns there. And so the only team that that isn't the case really is, is the Utah Jazz. I guess you could make a, an argument for Mike Conley, but I think that they would they would be able to manage if, if they were to lose him for, for some time. Uh, so I do think that they have the best chance to earn the number one seed. Do I think they will come out of the West? I do not. Um, I, I I don't think that, and I, I feel that pretty pretty confidently uh unfortunately. i thought you were about to say for, deep in your core like you're just anti-jazzness you just it's, it's, it's so a lot because mm. it's hard because i want to i want to believe in them and i want to believe in in gobert being able to be successful because it's almost like okay well if you don't believe in and gobert being able to be like have an imp it sounds crazy but like having an impact on defense in the playoffs and it's not that i don't think he has an impact like he's he's one of the most the best defensive players in the league but it, the playoffs are just different, and we saw it last year, especially if you go up against a team that maybe plays a little bit smaller, plays a little bit more pace. Like The matchups can just be so huge. And so as a Mavs fan watching uh, last year with Porzingis against the Clippers, like you're kind of really seeing what that can look like when you just get a bad matchup for, for what your personnel uh, is. And so with the Jazz... Well, yeah, they are really deep, and I actually am a, a big fan of of the acquisitions that they made this offseason, especially when they had no money to work with. Um, I think that they did get better, but I just don't think they're made for the playoffs, as, as, as crazy as it sounds. Man, brutal. Corbin, back me up here. Lauren just poo-pooing the Jazz. <laughs> Just throwing Gobert under the bus. Not a believer in Donovan Mitchell. Not a believer in Dwayne Wade being at midcourt every night. That is an imp- we cannot we cannot overstate how important it is for Donovan Mitchell to be able to just turn and look over when Quinn Snyder says something to him to be like, hey, Dwayne, is this going to work? Is this do you agree? Like, uh, how, how does this work here? Uh, no, I, I, I don't know. I cannot wait for more of that. I see it already. You know, mm. another uh, just humiliating second round exit. Oh no! You know, oh no! Limping off the court, he looks at Wade, and Wade says, "We'll be there next year." Okay, you know, we're gonna All do it right. again. Fifty wins. Okay, no. Um, I actually like a hundred percent. I honestly don't even know what else to say. Unfortunately, for you, Chase, to to say that I agree completely with Lauren. Like, oh no! It, 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 it just it just is. You look at what they did last year. <laughs> Rudy Gobert, you know, defensive player of the year, Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year, Dennis Lindsay, executive of the year. Like, during the regular season, this team can do no wrong. And then the postseason happens and and, and, and they can do nothing right. Um, that was the Bucks like, until it wasn't. That was the Bucks. Yeah, but like okay. Yeah, but what changed with the Bucks is like they they got better. Like like mm-hmm. they played better. They they got that intestinal fortitude to withstand some stiff competition. Like you said, the Bucks the year before you know, were bowed out to the heat meekly. You know, mm-hmm. this this Bucks team withstood and just demolished them, then took down, yes, an injury-riddled but very tough Brooklyn Nets squad, and then went down 0-2 to Phoenix and came back and beat them, even with the hamper Giannis. Like, they collectively just developed internally as a core in a way that I think goes beyond just on the floor and just more like together as a team where we're not just going to fold. And I, I'm t- t- to be fair, I'm not saying that that's what Utah did, but I am going to say what Lauren did. They got played off the floor. I mean, I mean, they, they as a team got played off the floor. Um, Rudy Gobert specifically, like, it, it just it just happened. And, and this is another embarrassing kind of defeat for them. Remember, the year before, they were up 3-1, lost to Denver in the first round. Like, they they just need to get it together 
in the postseason. It's almost like Lauren said about the Lakers. Like, the Lakers don't necessarily need to win the number one seed, um, and they really shouldn't be focusing on that. They should be focusing on developing as a team so they're better to withstand the the, the, gruel, uh, the grueling, you know, nature of the postseason the, the, and the opponents that they play. That's where Utah's concerned. Utah has to do what Milwaukee did. In fact, now that I'm talking myself into this, that's a perfect analogy, Jason. Oh, here we go. Remember Milwaukee? Here the we go. Years, Milwaukee, <laughs> best seed in the East, MVP for Giannis, all these regular season awards, and the postseason, you know, the jig was up and the, and the Cinderella ball was over. Like, Utah has to have that same approach that, okay, listen, we're going to just focus on our basic tennis and how we can improve as a team. If that does mean losing some games like Milwaukee did last year because we are trying to go a different approach, then, then that's what's what it's going to be. But in the postseason, we're going to be better equipped to handle what's going to be thrown at us because not we don't know what it is. We've seen it, you know, over the last couple of seasons. I think that's what Utah needs. It, it, it's really, it, it's really what's in the locker room than anything external that they, that you know, as far as players they keep bringing in. No disrespect to Rudy Gay, I love him. There you go. So we're in agreement. Lauren's changed her mind as well. We all universally agree. <laughs> we're all Utah Jazz believers. Um, who I'm not a believer in. The Portland Trailblazers. Um, the weird thing about the Blazers is that I think they could be better than last year and still be worse in the standings. I think they could miss the playoffs entirely and be better than they were a year ago. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see with Chauncey. I I don't know. They're I mean retaining Norman Powell is good. Uh, we'll see with the rest of this group. Um, whiffing on Zach Collins was just a huge you can't have that um cj mccollum's still here like it's just really hard for a dame lillard led team who plays 82 games for them to fall out of the playoffs like that just seems extremely unlikely but they do feel like a play-in team to me and the rest of the the best of the west all got better and they're just they're still floating with roko nurkic powell lillard and mccollum but that five-man unit is so good they're so dominant that i'm like I think they still win a, enough regular season games to be around that, but I think they're going to have a worse record than a year ago. I think, like, it's just, I don't know. It, the Blazers are in such a sad, weird spot now. What do you think, Corbin? I agree. Um, and it's sad. I think that if this isn't a perfect parallel. I'm not trying to make it that way. But you saw, like, LeBron's last couple of years after his first stint in Cleveland where he's like, hey, you know, I need more help. And the front office is like, okay, here we go. And they just bring, like, you know, vet minimum contracts and, like, pass their primers. Like, that's what it feels like here for Portland. Like you said, that the five they have, I, I love it. But, like, just the depth. I mean, right now, you look at the back of the point guard spot, you're, you're looking at a big boost from Anthony Simons. No disrespect to him. I actually like, you know, the improvement he's made so far. But that's a lot to throw at him all of a sudden. Or hoping that, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. can play for that, you know, uh, 15th man role and possibly get some playing time there as well. Um, I, I just don't know. If if, if you look and your your star player says, hey, I need some help, you know, our roster needs some help, and the best you can do is Ben McLemore and Cody Zeller, then, I, I don't know, I would just go back to the drawing board. That's, that's how I look at it. I think that their best, unfortunately, just hasn't been good enough. Uh, I don't see reason for that to change. Their defense, actually will change just a little bit because I think just by losing um, Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor, it just has to improve, just addition by subtraction <laughs> in that case. But, like, aside from that, you're still putting a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on the same all-star backcourt you have for years, Damian Little, C.J. McCollum. Norman Powell's great, but, yeah, another kind of undersized uh, small forward, another guard with that group. Uh, you're hoping that Yusuf Nurkic has a healthier season. If not, you're hoping that the equally injury-prone Cody Zeller will be able to stay healthy to spell him. You know, Robert Covington is going to bring decent – 
um, three point shooting and and and, and um, on ball defense, but that I mean off ball defense, but that's it. Like there's still a lot that hasn't been just definitively answered for a Portland team that basically you just got you low key got an ultimatum from your superstar that we need to make some positive improvements. Yes, you bring in a new coach, but. I mean, at best, you hope that new coach can can solve the defensive struggles because I don't think you want to mess with offensively what has worked for Portland over the last couple of years. So it's like they moved, but I don't want to say move backwards. They just took a very, very small step sideways that if you look from far enough, might be construed a step forward. That's how I look at Portland's offseason. And that's a tough spot to be, unfortunately. Mm. Lauren, what do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much right on board there. Um, I, I thought bringing in Larry Nance Jr., like you move off of Derek Jones Jr. and you, you bring in Larry, I thought that that was a good good upgrade there. But that's pretty much all that could be said, and for, in my opinion, about any significant move that they made this offseason, if you want to call it that. I will say I was very surprised Norman Powell came back. Uh, going into the offseason, it seemed like there were a lot of questions with Portland. Uh, and I, I, I'll be honest, I did not think he would come back there as, and, and he hadn't like, he was an unrestricted free agent. He didn't need to go back. So I thought that that was a big win for them getting him back, uh, on, on a long-term deal. But again, and, and, uh, Corbin said it best. You have Yosef Nurkic, who I'm a big fan of, but, and backed, being backed up by an equally injury, injury prone Cody Zeller. Like that is a big, big, uh, potential like problem and and that's been portland's one of portland's biggest struggles these last few seasons is just staying healthy and having having guys that may provide you with depth being available come playoff time and so yeah unfortunately as much as i love dame as much as i love cj uh and and so many others on this roster i just don't see them being able to put it together especially in a western conference where like i don't think memphis is going to necessarily go crazy in the west but like they're coming and they're hungry like they're going to be a tough team to go against and like in some of these games and so especially towards down down the line towards uh the end of the the final stretch of the season so yeah i I, i'm i'm with corbin i I don't feel too good about portland yeah it's just uh it's sad and i don't know what's sad but also i kind of just wouldn't see damian lillard on a different team i think we're at that point it'd be cool (laughs) to just see damian lillard uh, on the Sixers like that would be a lot of fun that would be great I would love Ben Simmons on Portland that'd be fresh that'd be interesting that would make Portland more interesting to me um, I don't know that's the swap that I still just want to want to see happen um, the Grizzlies Lauren this is mm-hmm. an interesting team to me because Job Morant is so much fun love watching Job Morant play but a lot of this comes down to what they're upper like what they're doing like a lot of NBA fans just get way too excited about certain teams and it's because oh they're rising they're, everything's going to get better but I mean Bain has limitations you look at this roster limitations everywhere like Job Morant can be a top 10 player in this league I think but outside of that everything in their future falls on what Triple J does in my estimation like what we saw from him before the injury it's like if he is a pick and pop machine if he develops into some variation of bam out of bio then yes the grizzlies can be a top four top five contender in the west for years to come like if if jaron jackson jr stays healthy and is that guy we're looking at the grizzlies completely differently but if he's not that guy and he cannot stay healthy and the fit is not clean with him and jaw things get really 
get really curious to me in a really quick fashion um, because I don't think there's time to waste on players like Jaw, who almost just has a season-ending injury every game, it seems like. Watching (laughs) Jaw Morant, like the stuff that he does and the way he dunks and the way he moves inside, it frightens me every night. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. now, like you have to wonder about his injury stuff. Um, What do you make of the Grizzlies and do you think they jump a level if they get 75 plus games of Jaron Jackson Jr. this year. Um, I, I don't know. I, I love this, this Grizzlies team, uh, but I, I don't know that this is the year that they make a jump, even if Jaron Jackson is, is fully healthy. Um, I'm still very high on him, and I think that they will be a tough team in the West for years to come. I just don't think their time is now. Uh, I did think that their draft selection, selection Zare Williams, uh, was a little interesting. I do wonder if they kind of viewed the Jaren ja- him as maybe some Jaron Jackson insurance. Maybe they're starting to see that Brandon Clark's ceiling or trajectory might not have been what it they initially thought it was after he won like the summer league MVP and he just kind of came out swinging. Um, maybe they're they're I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But um, I just I, I like the core that they're they're building. I, I am a big Desmond Bain fan. Uh, Dallas was this close. But anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, I just, I just I think there's I think their their time their timeline is just a little bit further out. But as they kind of continue to try and build the roster, obviously around Jaw, around Triple J, who have a very good relationship and seem to just love the grit and grind culture, uh, I think they're setting themselves up themselves up for long term success. But I just don't think it's going to be this year. That's fair. That's fair. Zaire Williams is interesting. Um, I think his comp that I saw coming out was Richard Lewis. And uh, I feel like they already have nine Richard Lewises on this team. But um, I don't know. What do, what do you think, Corbin? I mean, I hate to just say it again, but I, I agree completely. Like, I, I think that you look at this team and I like the way they're doing it. They're still going to be competitive, but they're also looking more forward, you know, maybe a year or two down the line than I'd say they are immediately right now. So, yeah, I, you know, in terms of being a tough out, for sure, I mean, they finally cracked, you know, into the playoffs for, the, for a minute, for the first time in a minute, rather. Um, it, it almost reminds me of that, like, 2011 uh, Thunder team. I don't think they're going to make the same leap. Uh, that team was a 55-win four seed, uh, uh, and then, of course, they had, like, several of the top scorers who were, like, 22 or under. Like, that's not what we're going to get from Memphis. But I think that you're going to see a real powerhouse in, like, you know, as soon as this next offseason, another year down the line, um, as they continue to, th- to develop the core that they have while kind of thoughtfully bringing in new guys that are around the same age to, to build around. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to build, though, once extensions start really rolling in. But um, I-, I agree with you, Chase. I think a lot of it is going to fall on um, Jaron Jackson, just kind of what he brings to the table. He When he came back, um, you know, from injury, he, he played well in terms of rebounding, blocking shots, uh, getting the free throw line, but that three ball was gone. So hopefully we can see some more of that, um, see it all come together and find out what this Memphis team can be like uh, moving forward. Mm. I, I'm curious. I, I think that they have a lot of young guys that they're going to have to make some very difficult choices on very soon. I mean, Dylan Brooks is not long for this team, I don't think. They have too many young guys that you need to see what they are next to jaw and Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams. We'll see as a fit. I think that's a downgrade from Jonas Valanciunas. Um, but we'll see. We'll see about the Grizzlies. Um, the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves, Ben Simmons, uh, just chaos in their front office at this point. Um, just I, Chris Finch was a welcome addition mid season last year. Ryan Saunders 
by all accounts good dude but just in over his head and uh yeah it was just not a not a good situation and finch turned the script a little bit but uh yeah i anthony edwards came on late and d'angelo russell i mean he i i'm not a d'angelo russell person whatsoever um i think he's barely an nba player at this point but you know like there's reason for optimism everyone loves nasri that's what i've seen like he is a universal positive approval rating on nba twitter i have found he's fine i like nasri um but corbin are you a timberwolves believer do you think that they can be a playing team this year i I feel like I'm a paradox here because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a big D'Lo fan. Ice in my veins all the way. But Oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Like, your perfect team is like D'Angelo Russell, Russell Westbrook. Like, I don't even – just that's your yeah, dream you, backcourt. Oh, just, Chase, you, Chase, you don't – listen, I would go on, but then you would never invite me back. And I would, oh, my I'm, goodness. I'm going like, down here. <laughs> like, Pat Bev is a great sign. Like, I love the Pat Bev thing. I really am a big believer in what he is going to do with this group. Like, that's like my favorite favorite under the radar thing like him staying with this group if they can keep him he's on the last year of his deal like i love pat bev with this group. he's like the exact type of defensive guy they needed at the forefront i agree i think the bigger issue is if he can stay healthy you know mm. that's the same thing that kind of crippled the clippers you know for most of the season he what he brings to the table you know being kind of that irritant being a stout defender you know he's good for you know a couple steals four fouls and two three-pointers a game but like that jolt of energy and i'm being slightly facetious is really good uh for a contending team plus a team that needs to kind of learn how to grow up on that end of the floor but i think a lot of what happens in minnesota ties down to health when you look at the fact that you still didn't get more than a handful of games of carl towns anthony edwards and d'angelo russell together you look at how much time delos missed you look at just unfortunately the season seasons from hell that Carlton Towns had to deal with, you know? Um, Malik Beasley, who had missed a chunk of time already when he was suspended for 12 games from that um, a gun assault charge, and then he missed 23 more with the hamstring injury. So you're really looking at health as the big barometer, I think, for this Minnesota team. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing is defensively, and I think that's where, you know, having a guy like a Pat Bev comes in and can be a, a big boost for this team. Almost that veteran on that side of the floor, like uh, Cat was able to have when Kevin Garnett had his last year in Minnesota, uh, someone who kind of knows how to pull them all together. Because offensively, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, they have uh, their new draft pick. Uh, well, he he was over. He stayed over the year before, but um, Leandro Bomaro is coming over. Um, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. You already have, mm-hmm. of course, Carl. You have Anthony Edwards, who also, I might add, is on that team of uh, back where he'd be my starting three. Um, you know, you <laughs> you have uh, D'Lo, who, if nothing else, is going to be a solid shooter. I really would hope he can bring someone on the floor in terms of anything on the defensive side of the ball. But like you said, the talent is there. It's just health and the defensive side of the ball. So I think if you can get just the health part together, you're, you're looking at a playing spot, I feel. And if you can kind of show up the defense, you know, just passable and just have Finch kind of work his magic, maybe you're looking at a seventh seed. Don't think it's out there a possibility. I don't I don't disagree. What do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same position. Like the health is is such a big like variable because you just you have no idea which which way it's going to go. But but like you guys have both said the talent is there. Uh I don't know anyone that's not an Anthony Edwards fan and I'll be very interested to see what kind of second year uh leap he takes. Um but yeah, he just what he can do with this team next to Carl Anthony Towns, uh, I, I think could be very interesting. And and I, 
I will push back a little bit, Chase. I don't think D'Lo is like a borderline out of the league player, but there are definitely like he's got. I mean, he does. He does have like so a point to prove because he's he's. I mean, he plays for Minnesota, and people just aren't really talking about him as much as they used to. And so he definitely needs to kind of come back, show that a healthy D'Lo is a guy that you want to have on your team. Uh, but I, I like this Minnesota team. I don't think that they're going to, unfortunately, do do very much in the West. But they have a lot of fun players. Uh, I like some of their young, kind of underrated guys. Like like Nas Reed, when you said his approval rating on Twitter, I was like, yep, you're you're speaking my language I, i'm the one that tweets about nas reed see i'm um, telling you it's it's i log on once a day and i just see yeah. someone having a nas reed discussion i'm like that guy's he, underrated he's fantastic he really is but like jared vanderbilt i feel like he's a slow burner i'm still waiting on that i'm i'm waiting for him to kind of get his footing uh i like him i even i mean i do like joshua kogi like i Jaden mcdaniel's another guy i'm also very fascinated yeah. by bomaro uh i just i like this group i just think they kind of need the pieces to put it to, or they just, they need some time. And I think Anthony Edwards is given his, his personality. I think in time, he's going to be able to be the guy I've heard some people, like, obviously it's Carl Anthony Towns team, but I've heard some people, uh, voice concern that Carl Anthony Towns is more similar to AD and, and the way that like, it's not like he's kind of the second guy. Like maybe he's the most talented on the team, but in terms of his personality, he's not the super like vocal in your face leader that maybe someone like Anthony Edwards could be. So maybe in time, if he takes a big leap, could he be the guy that's like, Hey, Hey, you, you do this, do this. Like, and he's kind of like calling the shots, even if maybe Carl Anthony Towns is the best overall player. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just voicing kind of that thought of, of what I've been hearing a little bit. And so um, I, I think that they're a very intriguing team. And I think short answer, yes, people do. Like if you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, you have reason to be excited. Do I think they're going to make noise in the West? Uh, unfortunately not, not yet. Maybe in the future. Ugh, I don't know. I, I was going to say, Lauren, maybe, you know, Cats just waiting for a guy like D'Lo to evolve into the true superstar. Oh, oh my goodness. I will hang up this call. I will hang up this call. I don't care. I, I just have a question for you, Corbin. I, this is this is going to test your, your D'Lo stan-itis. I, don't, I, I feel like it's an illness. Um, I need you to give me the year that he had a positive on-court rating per 100 possessions in his NBA career. Which year was it? that's tough do you know why it's tough because it's never happened this is done this is it's literally never happened minus 12.5 minus 9.7 minus 7.3 minus 0.1 minus 8.6 minus 10.6 minus 3.2 and then last year for good measure because he wants to make sure that people remember that he's getting worse minus 7.4 this man has been a losing basketball player his entire nba career he's shown us like it's over you're t- he is in year seven. It's over. We know who D'Angelo Russell is. He is a fringe NBA player. He is a, like, he, oh my goodness. I The <laughs> D'Angelo Russell thing, if he was not drafted in the lottery, we would be done with this. Everything was lottery, and then the Nets year just ruined everything. Like, what Kenny Atkinson did to... <laughs> what Kenny Atkinson did to the D'Angelo Russell discourse... It can never be forgiven. It can never be forgiven because it talked people into it. It was ridiculous. You know who was right? 
Do you know who's right all along? Magic Johnson. He's vindicated. D'Angelo Russell, out of here. Wow. Um, You're talking like Alfred Payton. <laughs> I would give me Alfred Payton. I know what he can do. Alfred Payton has a skill. Alfred Payton has at least something. I know he can pass. Good passer. He'll give me my four minutes and then hit the bench. Great for New York. He, People are saying that he did great, great work to get to that number four seed. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. I have no words. I know me either. I'm like, wow, that was that was incredible. <laughs> They're my two least favorite players in the NBA, Russell Westbrook and uh, D'Angelo Russell. I don't know if y'all could uh, y'all could pick that pick that up from, <laughs> but uh, yeah, big Spencer Dinwiddie guy over here. Um, Denver Nuggets, Lauren, are they the deepest team in the West for you this season? Oh, God, it's so difficult when one of their stars is not going to be playing. But I mean, looking at their rot, like they are a really deep team. And so I'm I God, it's so hard. I'll say yes. I'll I don't I I will be honest. I'm not totally buying into the Lakers depth. I'm not 100 percent sold on that. Yeah, the Lakers don't well, have depth. That's not a yeah. thing. The Lakers have no depth. That's the that's the well, thing. They don't have depth. They have I know F. some people. I know some people are like, okay, well, look at all these quality role players that they just yeah. took and signed for the vet men, and all like, yeah, and like, I see it, but I also am like, I just don't think that they're gonna have the same impact in LA. But that's just me. They could easily prove me wrong. But that is a correct um, opinion, Lauren. So th- that's I, I don't know. So, but but this, I guess with Denver, I do think that they are probably one of the deepest teams if not the deepest teams uh in the west i think some of these other teams are a little bit more top heavy um again i still do really like the warriors but i think some of their depth is a little bit like you mentioned or we talked about uh their two rookies uh and jordan Poole. like they're just a little bit younger and not maybe not quite ready but like this team you got guys like jeff green like guys that like jamichael green as well like monty morris yeah will barton like guys that are ready to win now and have proven that they can they know their role and they can they can have success in that role um i i'm a big bones highland fan as well so i think that <laughs> yeah. he's just gonna be i think he's gonna be really fun there so you know what i'll say sure i i do think that they they are the deepest team in the west and i think that matters like this team it, it just they like they don't need jamal murray for a while like they'll be fine like this team's deep they paid michael porter jr uh you'll have will barton there you have aaron gordon this is why you also pay and trade for aaron gordon this is michael porter's opportunity to beef up his scoring numbers you have Compazzo. you have morris you have austin rivers who i think is close with michael porter jr like he's fine for a while and then you get jamal murray back for the playoff run like i just there's a lot of reason for optimism for me with denver and i'm surprised that Kronke has gone all the way in that he has on this group because this is an expensive expensive team now and there is a lot of pressure to win this year so i i'm, I'm extremely high on denver what about you corbin yeah i think this is what you hoped utah would be you know like a deep mm-hmm. talented team that you know, can perform in the postseason. Yeah, like, I, I am I am high on them. I think that, you know, of course, a lot, I think, hinges on Jamal Murray when he comes back. But Bones is, is, is whew, I'm a fan of him as well. I definitely like that green, green backcourt. I, I'm, I'm going to make so many jokes on Twitter that aren't going to land, but I'm excited about that as well. I mean, you look at Nicole Jokic and the weapons he has to work with now. You look at defensively what these what this team can be. 
Um, again, shout out to Jeff Green again because he had such a solid season last year for Brooklyn. I'm glad he's finally off of like the vet minimum, actually getting you know a, a pay kind of commiserate with it, a pay commiserate with his play. There you go. Um, yeah, this is thank you. <laughs> this is a squad that yeah, I think that you can lock them in um, for a top four seed. And I think you know if they do get Jamal Murray back toward the end of the season, um, gear up, gear him up, um, good to go. Like, who knows? I mean, they could go real deep this year. I think so. And there's a lot, a lot of pressure for the Jazz and the Nuggets to go deep. They've paid everybody. They've won a lot of games the last couple of years. They have their stars, um, but they have to win. They have to do what the Suns did. I think the Suns winning last year messed up some timelines and put a lot more pressure on those two organizations. Um, last team, and we'll wrap up here, guys. The New Orleans Pelicans. I wanted to save them for last. I don't have a piano in the room to play in uh, our New Orleans Pelicans conversations, but... The Pelicans, this roster is somehow worse than it was a season ago. And yet, I think they're going to win more games this season because I think Zion Williamson is going to be in the MVP conversation and just force this Pelicans team into a play-in situation. And we're all going to be talking about, like, I don't understand how the Pelicans are winning basketball games. But I think it's because Zion did 42, 18, and 10 again. And I just I don't think people understand just how insane it is to watch Zion Williamson play an entire basketball game. It it's just if he's healthy and he plays eighty two games, like they're he's already there where they're a play in team. Like this roster stinks, and I genuinely do not think it matters for them to get a play in spot. Am I too optimistic on the Brandon Ingram sidekick Zion Williamson just going nuclear already? Uh, conversation, Lauren. Uh, I, I'm so sorry, but I do think you are a little too optimistic. Uh, I am actually, it's been a minute since I've been so disappointed in a team's off season performance from start to finish in terms of draft free agents, like all of it, even the trades that were made. Mm -hmm. I just, I think that they did, they took a significant step back, uh, and I, I I do love I love Zion and I love I mean I love Brandon Ingram but I just if you look at this roster there are a lot of guys on there where it's like whoa like what are what are we doing here what are we doing with the Devonte Graham Kyra Lewis uh, backcourt moving forward how does that work and I I just don't feel good about this team and again the West is such a tough conference uh, they're going to be playing against so many teams that are looking to to really make a deep playoff run and I I don't feel good about them uh, I think they're going to be fighting for a play in spot from the bottom not fighting to like fighting at the bottom of the playoff picture I I just I don't know how this roster and and, and a lot of it comes down to not just the the quality of this roster but like you said if Zion is healthy and if Zion can play a full game i mean he just had this this surgery in september and he it appears he's going to be back in time to start the regular season but sometimes that's just not always they don't come out 100% maybe they're still trying to to you know get their legs back under them get back to 100% whatever the case may be but i just i really don't feel good about this new orleans roster uh and i don't really know what the move is moving forward for them to kind of shake things up i i just i don't think people realize he's 20 years old and per 36 last year per 36 29 points he was going to the line 10 times a game or shooting 10 free throws a game like his mm-hmm. field goal percentage like 61 percent. like he doesn't even have to shoot threes like he shot 30 percent from deep if he even becomes a 34 percent three-point shooter 
Like, I just... His offensive rating was 124. Like, he's not even a good defender yet. Like, Zion is so good already offensively. He's already carrying a 30% usage rate where I'm just like, I think people are going to be stunned to see the Pelicans above 500 early where it's like, I don't understand every... Like, we... Lauren, I agree with you. Like, I did not like anything they did this offseason. But I still think Zion is already on that precipice of being a top 10 NBA player, maybe even a top five within two years. And when you're that good and that dominant, it's just these guys don't miss the playoffs. Like these guys don't just, they don't stay at the bottom. They just pick these guys up. And I don't know. I, I, I'm a big, big, big Zion guy. And I just, <laughs> I think we're, we're already closing in on Zion's maybe the, the second or third best player in basketball very quickly like that time is coming very very soon you can't defend him like he is literally unguardable inside like he can score whenever he wants like zion williamson is an unreal player to watch offensively i don't know what you throw at him because no one can throw anything in zion williamson i I, I think you just owe him a defensive assignment (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he's gonna win that he's gonna win I mean, I mean, him defensively was was kind of rough last year, Chase. I don't know. If no, okay, that. yeah, on that side, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Don't care. He's gonna figure that out. Zion Williamson will figure that out. It's much harder to figure out offense than it is defense. Like it is far more difficult to become an elite offensive player than it is to become a uh, defensive, just average defensive player later in your career. It's so much harder to find an offensive superstar like him. Uh, well, yeah, no argument there on that end. Yeah. He, he definitely finished around the bat. He, he can finish. I agree with that. I just feel like if you're the Pelicans where you are, you were a horrible shooting three-point. You were a horrible three-point shooting team. I think they were 26th in accuracy, 27th in just attempts, uh, and then they were 24th in points allowed, 24th in block shots. So, like, you're not making outside shots, and you're not defending anyone. So, like, the only thing you really have is Zion and, like, finishing around the basket. Um, your best three-point shooters last year, that means there was two guys who made better than 35% for three. That was Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Well, you don't have Ball. You traded him out, basically, for Devontae Graham, but you have a, a bigger defensive weakness there with Graham. Uh, than you did with Ball. Uh, Ingram, mind you, I gotta say, as high as you were, uh, as high as you are on Zion Chase, I have a tweet, and once I learn how to find and delete tweets, I will do this, but like, I think it was like, seven games into the season, Brandon Ingram had like a really good game, and I was like, if Brandon Ingram keeps up like this, he's an MVP candidate. And like, like the next week, started a bad stretch, I went to the lead, I couldn't find it, and here we are. So I'm very high <laughs> on Brandon Ingram. Um, I also love Zion as well, but I do think that the Pelicans need to fix one of those two issues because obviously those play those defensive numbers are not playoff caliber numbers for a team and looking at the additions that new orleans made you bring in Devontae graham tomas Daransky, garrett temple Jonas valentunas yes that 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 does appeal more to the defensive side uh, with the exception of graham but you do have to hope that there's some spacing because even in, in valentunas yes he's uh, he's not a non-shooter like steven adams but he's not a, a, a stretch four or stretch five either he's somewhere in the middle of that and he prefers to play inside the post as well. So when you look at that, then you're looking at guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, whose shooting has not really been super great. Brandon Ingram being your only real spacer on the floor, uh, aside from Devontae Graham when he's not bleeding points on the other end. I still think there's issues. I think that it's to the greatness of Zion and Brandon Ingram that the Pelicans are even 12th in offense this past year. Um, I definitely think that can probably stay level and, and move up, but you have to hope that it does uh, or that defensively they, they, they go into maybe the the low 20s to hopefully the high teens at best. Mm. 
I don't know. We'll see. I am just so excited to watch Zion Williams. He is just a delight to watch play basketball. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what Brandon Ingram is this year. And I think Willie Green will be will be a step up. Um, by all accounts, he seems like he's going to be a better head coach than what SVG brought to this group. So I think there's a added benefit bringing him into the fold as well. Um, that'll do it. Uh, we'll end on this note. Lauren Corbin, your Western Conference champion prediction. Who do you think wins the West this year? Lauren, we'll start with you. Oh, boy. I'm going to throw it up to the Lakers. Oh, I think oh just, no. Oh, no. I, oh, no. I, unfortunately, I think as of right now, that's where I'm at. Oh, no. Okay. I thought we could get you out of this by the end of this I'm podcast. So sorry. You know, I, I'm still hoping that even in these next few seconds, another team will come out of my mouth. Wow. But I just, I just don't. As of right now, I, I think that they're probably the safest bet. Okay. What about you, Corbin? I don't even. Do I need to ask who you? I, I mean, I mean, you you really don't. No, I, I feel like I've been doing it all night, but I've never been happier than to yet again agree with Lauren. I do think the Lakers <laughs> will come out this year. Um, I mean, it, it 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 could be. You know, like I said, it is open. By the end of the day, I'm not going against the LeBron and AD team uh, when healthy, and and I, I I like it. So yeah, I think I think we're uh, looking at LA. I'm just going to stick with the Jazz. My preseason prediction is still Jazz, Nets, um, with the Nets winning it. But we shall see what happens with uh, with the Nets after Kyrie's retirement on Thursday. No, I'm just that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing would surprise me this week. Nothing would. Uh, wow. I mean, that's in play. I refuse to believe that's not in play. Oh, no, I absolutely think that's in play. I think that I tweeted today that I think that that is the most likely scenario. Yeah. I think that's possible. Um, and also, wouldn't hate it. Like, what if we just moved on? And we're just like, all right, that part, like, it's just not fun to talk about anymore. Let's just move on and uh, move forward. Uh, but, yeah, there you go. And then you get the buyout, John Wall in, in Brooklyn. There you go. Oh, there you go. You got it. You got the whole plan for him right there. Wow. Sean Marks, where you at? I got it. I got it. People are saying John Wall in shape. Get him in Brooklyn. Um, Corbin, Lauren, how do we check out your work this week across the Internet? Corbin, you want to go first? Oh, I'll, I'll, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you can definitely um, check me out on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Um, my podcast, Round Ball Ramble. Uh, that's literally just what it is. We ramble about the round ball uh, pretty much every day, um, especially once the season starts. So uh, definitely would appreciate a, a, a look there. Uh, maybe a subscribe. That the subscription would be great. Um, but if not, I mean that's fine. I love talking hoops, and I'm always on Twitter. So definitely check me out there and um, everything else that I occasionally try to put out. There you go. Lauren, what about you? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at LGun with four N's. Uh, I write for Mavs Moneyball, and I am the co-host of the Gunshot Podcast, where my brother and I talk everything NBA. Uh, so, yeah, I'm always looking to chat with people from other fan bases uh, about really anything. So, yeah, come come chat with me on there. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much, guys. Lauren, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, Corbin, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. We got to like, I just, we got to revisit the, the D-Lo Russell Westbrook takes. Like, I just, I don't know if I can handle it on multiple occasions. I love it. I love it. Guys, thank you so much. Stay safe out there and I'll talk to you both very soon. Thank you, Chase. See ya. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.